I have to introduce today's debate in the beginning in both English and Chinese. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> Is there... Is everyone ready? Absolutely. Hala. <laughs> 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 okay, great. All right, let's begin. Kaishiba. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. All right. I I know that there were some who objected to the title of this debate. Is prediction killing astrology? But quite frankly, we wanted a title that would excite some objections and maybe stimulate debate, because that's what this is about. Um, I want to welcome our distinguished panel that's here. And I'm going to start over here with Sam Reynolds, right here, Christine Skinner, Stephen Forrest, Chris McRae, Rick Levine. <laughs> I got some words for you, Rick. It's coming up. Don't worry. And Chris Brennan. All right. Um, like, like most of us. In fact, why don't we give them a big hand? I want to remind you, who are ESAR members, that you elected this panel. All right. Yes, you did. You chose this panel. And so that's part of what, you know, ESAR likes to reach out and find out what it is that you want. All right. Um, now, like most of us who've come to UAC, this panel shares a passion for astrology, which we, we all have. And like us, they also believe in responsible forecasting. Though the question sometimes is, what constitutes a responsible forecast? And that's what is at the heart of this debate. All right. Now we've got some rules. And um, before I go into these rules, I want to I make a special thanks to Chris Brennan, who took the initiative to set up the camera and the recording equipment uh, for uh, this debate. Well, thank you very much, Chris. Thanks. And one more thing, and this goes to Rick. Uh, back in uh, 2012 at UAC, uh, I quoted Jeff Jower uh, as saying that when it comes to forecasting, I'd rather be meaningful than accurate. And then uh, at the end of the, when I said this, Rick came over to me. He said, that was me who said that, not Jeff. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff stole that from me. <laughs> so I wanted to set the record straight and let you know that was from Rick Levine. Okay. So I'm acknowledging you, Rick. Actually, Jeff and I used to argue about who said what we would attribute each other and the other person would go, no, I got that from you. <laughs> no, we, don't, we, don't, we don't know. <laughs> so you would go back and forth and who had the good advice and the bad advice. Okay. All right. Um, all right. 
the panelists have their rules in front of them, and I'm going to go over those rules. Okay, you ready? Um, first, each of you will be allowed to make an opening statement of between five and ten minutes. And I'll set my phone here with a little alarm for nine minutes to let you know when you're almost at your limit. Then when all of you have finished with your opening statements, I'm going to ask you three questions. Each of you will have two minutes to reply to each question. Then after the third question, you can direct a question to one of your fellow panelists if you would like. In other words, if you feel compelled to ask a question or you're curious about something with each other, you can question each other. Then when that's done, everyone here gets to ask them questions. We want to keep your questions as concise as possible, and the answers will be two minutes each. All right? Everybody got the rules memorized? All right. So I'm going to start from left to right. And I'm going to start with Sam over here um, to make the opening statement. And we're just going to move in this direction. We so there's a microphone. What's that? No microphone. Well, we have this right here. Uh, yeah. But that's all we've got. We look silly carrying that. We would. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yes. All right. So I'm going to start. I'll start my timer. And here we go. So let's start with the admission that I don't think anything can kill astrology. If in thousands of years that we haven't killed it, I don't think we can. But I don't think prediction is failing astrology. I think astrologers are failing astrology. Many folks who correctly called the 2012 election didn't do so in 2018 and vice versa. This is common with prediction. We often do not notice the people who get things wrong once they get something right and vice versa. Prediction isn't easy whether you're predicting or receiving the prediction. What's important is figuring out the spirit in which we should give and receive predictions. What's killing that spirit is the arrogance of the astrologer to think how we see a chart is definitively how the world must appear. We succumb to a certain kind of fundamentalism. As a former fundamentalist Christian preacher, you probably hear it, <laughs> I know literalism when I see it. And it's interesting how fundamentalists can have a warped sense of time. We can perceive some of the worst things happening imminently all the time. We might often think that one possibility out of many has the highest probability of happening. We come to place a higher premium on the event and our prediction than the experience of the event or the person having the experience. We might miss how folks need more of our love and compassion than our self-congratulation for getting a prediction right. And I can't help but feel that this fundamentalism always leads to a certain failing. This failing happens in some important ways. So just to give you an overview, it's a question of technique, misperceiving our biases, not thinking about how things appear in a broader context. So let me briefly review how each of these pathways to how we, we fail astrology or how we fail in terms of prediction. A question of technique. Many astrologers, and probably many in this room, have the belief that we find the perfect technique, right? That thing that will set us off and be able to predict and know for certain 
whether it's from perfections or whether it's from looking at some particular um, solar arcs, however we do it, we can arrive at the perfect prediction consistently. And I think there's a certain hubris in that because we love our techniques, but not all techniques or any one technique or technique that we use can solve all our problems or even predict consistently and accurately every time. I think the best we can hope for is an internally consistent method with our particular vision of astrology. So whether you're Hellenistic, whether you're medieval, whether you're a hybrid, however you come to put it together, as long as you have some measure of internal consistency in terms of how you conceive of that, I think that's how we can best go forward in terms of thinking about prediction. We also misperceive our biases. Our political biases can slant how we want something to happen more than how it might actually happen. So I must confess something. I am a skeptic. I came to astrology as a skeptic. Perhaps many of you have as well. But I'm also a skeptic of mundane astrology, meaning you know, mundane astrologers who like to predict. And one of the reasons why I am, especially during election years, is that I often can tell the bias of the astrologer. No, 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 no. Trump is definitely going to win. Or it's going to be Obama, as it was 2012. So we have these political investitures without acknowledging that we have these biases. It's rare to see an astrologer go against his or her own political biases and not try to can their astrology to fit their political bent. So that is one other issue. We as astrologers, because the natural question would be, well, why don't we have that same issue, and sometimes we do, with our clients? We have to sharpen our practice of non-attachment. We're often better able to do this in personal consultations with clients because we might not have as much personally at stake with how each person lives his or her life. Perhaps we find the myth of free will useful here in that sense. Well, this person has their free will and can go on their own way. The last point I'd like to address with this is not thinking about how things appear in a broader context. So I am on the ESAR board. I was also um, part and parcel in helping to develop the prediction panel that we had in 2016, if you were at our conference, that storied um, panel. And um, one thing I would like to say about that is that perhaps we might have selected a diverse range of astrologers in orientation and prediction. Because one thing people leave lose in context, in 2012, we had about five astrologers, including one who's on the panel, predict accurately that Obama would win. But in 2016, we have the same, some of the same five astrologers who predicted that Hillary would win, and she. Um, and I think what people lost sight of the fact of, in terms of ESAR itself, um, is perhaps we could have had a diverse range of people, because a lot of people took that panel as proof positive that astrologers can't predict, where many astrologers did predict that Trump would win. And that's important to know. So maybe we could have diversified or had someone who represented that point of view. So that's another thing to consider. We didn't think about the optics, how these things appear and how that affects astrology. So that's something we need to think about as we talk about prediction and the public pursuit of, of prediction. So there's an encouragement toward broadening the voices that we hear in astrology, because I do know at least two astrologers, again, who predicted in a panel that Trump would win. And those voices were not heard. I believe that the spirit for which we should strive is between entertaining possibility and probability. 
That means allowing for the possibility that all, not all the technique or freedom in the world releases us from the idea that we're looking at a spectrum of probability. Those are not likely infinite, but they're not usually as finite as an absolute answer. And we can release ourselves from absolutes. Thank you. Christine, are you ready? Golly, I'm not ready after that. <laughs> um, I did say before I started, I think all my thoughts are still going around the baggage carousel at O'Hare from last night. Another six-hour timeline. Um, I haven't honestly given this enough thought, but the thought I've had is this. On, uh, first of all, to straight answer the question, is prediction killing astrology? I totally agree with Sam. It wouldn't matter how bad we were, we're not going to kill astrology, right? It hasn't happened yet, it's not going to happen. I don't like the word killing, right? Um, are we pushing it underground? I think sometimes we do that, right, without really realizing that we're doing it. But I really got into the thing about thinking about prediction. And I want to go back to the morning of the fourth of May. Oh, I'm so sorry. You should stand at the podium. This it's impossible yeah. for people. Yeah, yeah come on over the podium here. Chris. Oh my <laughs> God! Can I take the time of that? Yeah. <laughs> you could face the okay. wall. I'll face the wall. Yes. <laughs> Just project, you know. Okay. Um, is that better? Yes. yes. I want to go back to the morning of the fourth of May. Um. I had a neighbor who was unwell and uh, she had been the driver. Her husband didn't drive. And so I said that I would take them to the hospital to, to see her specialist. And to cut a long story short, when she came out, um, he helped her into the car. He then had to take a wheelchair back and she turned to me and it was clear that the news was not good. And she said, he's predicted I've got two months. Now, they hadn't been in the hospital for more than half an hour. So that, and allowed the time to get from the car and back to it. So in the space of a few minutes, she had been given this huge prediction. But it's, it, that was the beginning then of a fortnight where I have done nothing but meet with people who predict is their job, right? I had occasion to have to speak to my accountant about something who said, I predict, Christine, if you don't do this, X is going to happen, right? That's their job. Right? I also work in the world with musicians who will predict how good a performance is going to be by a student because we're just coming up to um, diploma time on the grounds of how much rehearsal they've had, how much practice, whatever. And it seems to me that there are an awful lot of professions out there who do prediction. That's their job, right? We do more navel-gazing about prediction than I think anybody else does, because I think we are aware of the consequences of getting it wrong. Right? Now, frankly, I'm not bothered about getting it wrong. I know I've got a Sag moon, and I love it if I do get it right. But actually, sometimes it's necessary to make the forecast, if I can use that word, and learn that maybe you didn't quite read it correctly. And frankly, I would love to have, be in a room where we did an inquest about how we arrived at the conclusions that we did, because that's how we learn, right? I actually don't want the client who doesn't want to come back, because 
I want to have had the experience of chatting with the client and I want to hear afterwards, you know, how it, how has it worked out? I, that's really meaningful. Now, you probably know I work with finance and business, right? So I need to know what the expectation is of the person. The probability is that they're there because they're in the crisis, right? And in a sense, all I am is a master or mistress of time, right? Because I can look, we can all do it. You look at an ephemeris, you can see when Saturn's going to, thank God, move off, right? But, and you can also see when other energies are going to come into play. So I think really, for me, it's all about, well, first of all, a prediction for me is an educated assessment, right? um, which doesn't is not the same as guaranteeing that you're going to get it right. I think we have a danger of being over Jupiter, right? Because we kind of think we've got some special insight, right? And I've been guilty of it. I'm sure we all have, right? When you're so crowing, oh, I knew that was going to happen to her. That's so wrong, right? And I'm really glad that the cosmos does eventually, you know, throw the custard pie at you and you learn you really haven't, you really don't know it all. I think we need to get out of the, this habit of needing to be right. And I think we have to learn how to cope with failure. Um, after we had the Brexit vote in London, I called it wrong. I knew it was going to be a shock result. I called it wrong. I was really, really upset. I went out with a lawyer that I do a lot of work for. I was sure I was going to be fired. I mean, I would have fired me. There's no question. I called it wrong. And he looked at me and he said, you know, in a court case, somebody always has to lose, which is true. Yeah. Get over it. Get up. Try again. Work out why did you get it wrong? Right. Deal with it. And I think really that's kind of for me, this part of is prediction killing astrology. No, I don't think it is. I hope I'm not killing astrology. And I would like to see us collectively, endlessly upping our game. Right. I'm going to take your chair while you come Yeah, take a load off. <laughs> well, hi, everybody. Thanks for being here. Um, well, you know, I agree. Astrology, if we haven't killed it yet, it's not going anywhere. So uh, <laughs> I think we're safe as far as that goes. But for astrology to have uh, a right to continue existing, I think the bottom line is that we're helping people and not harming them. That's a philosophical point. It's a value, but it feels like solid ground to me. When it comes to uh, philosophies or interpretations of human existence that, that seem conducive to, to virtue and well-being, the heart of the matter for me is the idea that we are responsible for our own lives. The choices we make matter. Effort matters. Self-discipline matters. Love matters. Kindness matters. And these are things we can choose to employ in life, or we can get out of the wrong side of the bed. And so I come down very, very strongly on the philosophical side of free will. Fate versus free will is, of course, the underlying paradigm question with, with, with prediction. You know, if, if we can see the future, there is no realm for free will. When I, when I say if we can see the future, I mean rigidly. You will get a divorce in 2019, you know, for example, that, that kind of prediction. Uh, issues in your marriage in 2019, that's a whole different beast. You know, once we define the nature of the issues, but you will get a divorce, that kind of rigidity. 
is absolutely logically inconsistent with free will. And so for that philosophical reason, I reject prediction when we define it in that narrow sense. Now, uh, of course, basing an interpretation upon the universe upon a philosophical premise is kind of dangerous. It's the basis of all sorts of fundamentalism. So I'm guilty of that fundamentalism. I'm a, I'm a free will fundamentalist, guilty as charged if anybody wants to charge me. But I, I want to make a, 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 an even more fundamentally logical argument against rigid prediction. Take, uh, for starters, the astrological houses, the 12 houses. We take everything that could possibly exist in the universe, everything that has ever possibly existed, everything that might possibly exist in the future, the whole enchilada, and we divide it into 12 boxes. Those are the 12 houses. Those are big boxes. (laughs) Ditto with the planets, ditto with the signs. I don't want to turn this into an astrology lesson. Nobody needs that. But the point is that any possible combination of astrological symbolism um, represents an almost incomprehensibly vast range of things that might happen. There is no way in a given lifetime, given a four score and 10 years in the world, that any one person could possibly manifest all of those possibilities that are inherent in the birth chart. Immediately as we think about this, the whole idea of prediction begins to rest on very shaky ground. How could I possibly take any configuration, a transit, a progression, a natal structure, and and from that infinite is a dangerous word, from that very large spectrum of possibilities, how could I conceivably guess which one was going to be right? There are just not enough words in the astrological vocabulary to to completely narrowly define all the possibilities in the universe. Now, that's a logical argument against rigid prediction. I feel like what we can predict accurately is questions. It is your fate. That's, uh, that's not my favorite word, but I use it sometimes. You know, It is your fate to interact with certain highly definable archetypal fields, certain, certain fields of probability and possibility. I, you give me a chart of a baby, you know, one week old, and, and uh, 75 years in the future, I can say what archetypal fields of possibility that kid's going to be wrestling with. I can predict that, you know, based on transits, progressions, solar arcs, and so on. And, and all of that is going to boil down to a set of questions. So that kid is going to face these questions, you know, in that moment of time. Answers? I don't know. I don't know. That's in the realm of free will. So fate, fate versus free will, I like to put them both in, in the blender and mix them up and call it astrology. It is your fate to face these questions. I can predict them. And then within the realm of my, my wisdom or the limits of my wisdom, I, I can possibly suggest that certain answers to these questions are going to be smarter than other answers, are, are going to serve you better in the long run. I can warn you about dumb answers. I can warn you about the slippery slope of self-serving answers that hurt you in the long run. That's human wisdom, without which astrology is pretty much worthless, you know, for starters. So I can use the symbols to understand the questions, and then I can counsel within that context. But prediction, here's what's going to happen. 
I don't think so. I, I don't think that's reliable at all. And the more consciously a person is engaged with his or her life, the, the more true what I'm saying becomes. The lazier a person is, the safer prediction is. A Leo eating potato chips and drinking beer in front of the television bears a distinct resemblance to a cancer eating potato chips and drinking beer in front of the television. <laughs> you know, if we're lazy and inert in our lives, prediction becomes a, a, a simpler task. Now, we're, we're left with, uh, you know, with one, one angle of attack, I think, in what I'm saying. It's, it's the long history of successful predictions in astrology. You know, rigid, accurate predictions have been made. Stupid, wrong predictions have been made, and people don't like to talk about those so much. But, but accurate predictions are made. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking, you know, we can make sense of that, that, that with uh, astrology and some degree of reason and common sense, we can guess about probabilities. Like if we know, for example, that here are two people who married before their 20th birthdays, had a baby right away, and Uranus is heading for the, the Venus of one of them, there's going to be, you know, some issues in the relationship in that time. And for us to speculate that this might mean the end of this relationship that was on a shaky basis is not unreasonable when it comes to guessing what will happen. I, I think we're probably going to be right with that prediction. Question I would leave us with, though, is are we being helpful with that prediction? You know, mm -hmm. your marriage is doomed. <laughs> oh, and look, yeah. Hey, I was right. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's an educated guess, and it's not unreasonable. In this situation, though, I would much rather discuss the issues, the, the ways that this relationship could maybe mature and evolve and survive. Uh, in the back of my head, I'm guessing it probably won't happen. I have no business saying that. I have no business making that prediction. Now, I do personal astrology, personal growth, individual client work. You know, that's my orientation when it comes to predicting what the economy will do you know the it's educated guesses interacting with astrology uh, we are able to to speculate probabilistically and we'll be right perhaps more often than than we're wrong but the bottom line i i think we really have to defend the moral and philosophical basis of our craft and and in doing that, we really need to turn our back on the whole idea that we can see the future. It's false advertising. We're wrong so often. Whenever we're wrong, as in, you know, the last presidential election where the dominant predictions, you know, were for Hillary among astrologers, we, we you know, forgive all that. But it didn't do us any good from a public relations angle. You know, whenever an astrologer makes a loud prediction that turns out wrong, it gets in the newspapers, you know. And we're, we're, we're not going to kill the field, but we're not going to help it with those kinds of errors. So let's advertise what we really can do and do well, predicting the questions, but leaving the answers up to the individual. Chris McRae, cancel this. Okay, great. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, I would like to take and look at this from three different perspectives. 
Number one, I do a lot of mundane, not predictions, but assessing global hotspots. How will I know if an earthquake is going to happen there, but I can su suggest that there is an energy force that is strong enough that if the energy is ready to give, it will give, but it needs a certain amount of influence in order to be able to do so. So I'd like to talk a bit more about mundane astrology in predictions um, and whether or not that's killing astrology. I would like to also take it from a personal point of view, the work we do with clients in our consulting room. And I think there's been a vast change going on in that area. And I would like to address that a little bit uh, as I proceed along my merry little path. And then there is the situation of trying to predict who is going to win an election. You have a 50-50 chance of being right and a 50-50 chance of being wrong. I think it is a great exercise for astrology to do that for astrologers. But to do it in a public situation or a situation where we invite a press to come in and watch the process and we get half of the people wrong and half of the people right, how many of these people are going to say, astrology doesn't know what it's doing because half of them say one thing and the other half say the other. So I think that that is kind of a, a folly kind of a position to be in. So I would like to go back to um, at least a couple of those uh, issues and hopefully that the gong won't be given to me. <laughs> You're fine. You got, you got seven more minutes. I have seven more minutes. Uh, I need 15. I need 25. We could all talk about these things for many more uh, minutes. Uh, anyway, down to business. Um, in, um, in my astrology work, I'd like to trace the, pr the process that I kind of went through. Some of you know that I've been doing this for many, 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 many years. You know, I'm getting a little gray on the edges. <laughs> and uh, having been doing it for so long, I have seen a change in astrology. When I first got into astrology, the books that I was reading lend one more towards um, predictive work with a client. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. Or answering questions that a client would come in. Those were the kinds of literatures or books um, or learning that we were doing back then. But as we have been booging along our perspective path, we have discovered something, and particularly in Isar, we have discovered that there is a way to approach a chart without being specifically explicit to a client that this is what's going to happen and next week you're going to have your appendix operation and all of these kinds of things. But what kind of service can we provide to a client rather than trying to say what is going to happen to them next week, next month, or next year? Instead of what is going to happen to them, in ESAR we have a program of uh, consulting skills that has helped us to work with a client, with the issues of a client, and, and what a client is going through at any particular time, and to help the astrologer and the client 
to meet together at one specific moment in time so that the astrologer, astrologer understands the issue of the client and the client under, knows that the astrologer is in tune with them. And in that kind of a situation, we can help the client come to the realization of many of the issues that are coming forward in their life. So I have been changing my astrology appropriately as I have seen um, astrology changing and as I have seen the expectations of our clients changing. And part of that is due to the approach that we make in uh, the work that we are doing. Um, all right, that was one area that I wanted to talk about. The other one has to do with mundane astrology. I enjoy immensely looking at what's going on around the world. and But rather than, as I said at the very beginning of my talk, trying to predict that a particular event was going to happen at a particular time, I like to look at what's going on across the world. I like to look at what's going on above me and bring that down onto planet Earth. And then I would like to say that there are certain global hotspots. What is a global hotspot? If I saw a particular energy coming into a particular zone on planet Earth, and it was in the middle of Saskatchewan, I'm a Canadian, the middle of Saskatchewan, where there isn't a mountain, I wouldn't predict a volcanic eruption. <laughs> there is no tectonic plate there, and I would not predict an earthquake. Or I would not, um, I would not even call that a hot spot from that perspective. So if we are going to try to assess what is happening in a particular area, we look at the amount of influences coming down and what area of the globe it is going to happen at. And then we say, what is the likely possibility of a particular kind of event in a particular area? If it's on a tectonic plate line, there could be an earthquake. Volcanic, well, of course, that's obvious too, isn't it? Uh, but it might be a political uh, development that might be ready to erupt. We look at what the range of possibility is in a certain area, and then we can make a forecast. I have got, I have developed a complete aversion to that word prediction. <laughs> um, for anybody that believes in that today, um, I'm sorry, I apologize, but it bothers me. It bothers me tremendously because I don't like to be wrong. <laughs> I do know that occasionally I am, but I would much prefer to be correct. Uh, okay, so I've addressed the point about the global hotspot idea. Um, and that's an area that I enjoy very much working in, uh, working with. Now, the other idea, I, I perhaps have covered it, but I want to zero in on it a little bit more, and that is when we make these political predictions. And as I said earlier, a 50-50 chance of being right, a 50-50 chance of being wrong, and also, why don't we do this 
as exercises for ourselves. It's a wonderful exercise trying to figure out who is going to win an election. What is the best method? What's an approach? What works and what doesn't work? We could do this uh, within the um, confines of our own discipline. But we don't have to invite the press to come in. We don't have to invite uh, other people to come in and observe uh, until we get it right, <laughs> until we learn how to do it more appropriately. So anyway, those are the things that I wanted to say. Uh, I like the idea that astrology can be enormously benefit, benefited benefit in, in so many different areas of our lives and our being and our functioning as long as we do it with some degree of caution and care and discretion. So, them are my words. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Greg. All right, Stephen Ford. <laughs> <laughs> I love the inner sky. <laughs> Just as a matter of um, interest, and Stephen will attest to this because I've begun sending him copies, um, I would like, um, my attorney will be speaking to you or yours, um, and I've already contacted Facebook about it, but every time I post a picture, this is true, every time I post a picture of me, and I put it on Facebook, it comes up, would you like to tag Stephen Forrest? <laughs> I'm so much taller and better looking. <laughs> but not smarter. <laughs> and how's the air up there, or lack of oxygen? <laughs> okay, getting serious here for a minute. Um... I was thinking about the panel earlier and thinking where people might fall on it, and I had myself um, actually, um, I want to say left of center, but it's not political right-left, with Stephen maybe being more extreme, but after hearing him, I think I'm the more extreme, and, 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 I, and I would agree with, um, uh, with, with uh, what Chris said to some extent, um, and it's not that I take offense with... Um, it's not that I don't like the word prediction. It's um, that I think it has more to do with, with questions and answers. Um, and, and, and here's the short version of it. And, and I think it comes back to the question of why the hell do we do this? Why do we do astrology? I think if you got in the Wayback Machine and asked a group of astrologers why they did astrology, they would say they did it to predict the future. Um, I do not do astrology to predict the future. I do, this, this is me personal. Uh, personally, um, I, I remember reading that Bucky Fuller, um, for 50 years of his life, would reconsider every few day, days his version of the Lord's Prayer. And, uh, and he rewrote it constantly. And I constantly think about why do I see clients? And in my top 10 reasons of why I see clients... Predicting their future is not one of them. So what is what is it that I do? There's a wonderful quote, or it's a very short um, short poem that I, I think I can get to here if my my 
Um, iPad is going to be happy with me. Sometimes it is, and sometimes I get messed up. But it's a um, it's a short poem by um, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, um, and it goes like this. And I have this over my desk, uh, so it's amazing I can never remember it quite. But 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 it's over my desk, and and the poem goes like this: What if you slept? And what if in your sleep you dreamed? And what if in your dream you went to heaven and there plucked a strange and beautiful flower? And what if when you awoke, you held that flower in your hand? What then? Every client I see, my goal is singular. It's to send them out of my office or off the phone or off Skype with a flower that's impossible. Because it's their working and interaction with that flower after they leave my presence. I'm not a counseling psychologist. I don't want to sit with you through all your crap. You got a, you got a counselor to do that. It's not that I don't have a good ear if I need it, you know, but my job is, is, is catalytic. At least that's how I, I see, how I see my work. Now, um, so I can find my notes again. Somewhere here. There we go. Or not. <laughs> okay, I'm using up my valuable time. There we go. Cliche. Uh, <laughs> so, when I, when, I, when I see someone, they go, oh, you're an astrology. You, you can't really see the future, can you? My answer is very simple. Do you use a calendar? <laughs> Period. If you use a calendar, you're predicting the future. You know, I mean, it's it's a prediction to say that Christmas will occur on the 25th of December. No, I, I'm not being. I, I'm, I'm being very. This this is important stuff to consider because we use language and then we forget. Predict simply means to say before. And quite frankly, I think. Prediction in astrology is important, but it's what we say. And I think several people hit it on the nail. If I predict that you're going to have a flat tire on your front left tire in three weeks, who the fuck cares? <laughs> what good does it do? You go out and buy new tires, you're going to still get the flat tire. You know, my goal is working with a client so that they can impact their own future. Um, and, and so here we come to a couple of very important things. Um, first of all, I think in astrology, as important as prediction is, I and I have a Cancer Moon. I think postdiction is just as important because when I'm working with a new client, I will probably spend half the session. I'm not someone who you can't pay me money to look at your chart for one year ahead. I think that's a bunch of crap. I think it's largely useless. It, it has no value because. A year ahead is not separate from the year behind and the year behind that and the year behind that and the decade behind that and the lifetime behind that. We live in a continuum. So as an astrologer, my job is not to just predict the future. It's to position the client in the world, in that magical garden where they can have a flower that they take out. Okay, so um, prediction. I like the word expectation. Someone used that because... Because expectations is largely the number one downfall of, uh, of any relationship 
is, is, is incorrect expectations, which really means that one or the other person predicted the future wrong based upon their assumptions of what someone else was or was not going to do. Um, I look at astrology not as a system of prediction, but as a mapping system. Rather, just like you would um, use your GPS to drive from here to Phoenix, Arizona, um, you would use a TPS, a temporal uh, positioning system, in order not to figure out where you're going, but to figure out when you're going. See, I don't know what's going to happen to you when Saturn conjuncts your moon. But I know when Saturn is going to conjunct your moon by transit. And as your astrologer, my job is to help you understand by postdiction what that cycle of Saturn and the moon is in your chart so that you can work toward making something happen. Here's what happens. or Here's a part of the problem. And it's this illusion that we come from, that we live in an objective world, and that a client who comes to see you is unchanged. When a client comes to see an astrologer, you have altered their trajectory. You're making a prediction about their future. You're actually imposing your crap onto them. And this can be very empowering, but not if you're coming from a place of fear. We don't need that. You know, this whole idea of, of, of coming from fear rather than from love. It's a, a whole other topic here. I want to stay on track because I got a few other points that I need to make in the next three minutes. Um, I would have said not, I would rather be meaningful than right. What I actually said many times is I would rather be useful than right. I, and maybe meaningful is part of that. Um, I think that astrology shares something very basic with classical physics, modern Western medicine, and fundamental religions. <laughs> And what we share with them is we think we know more than we do. This is heresy for an astrologer to say. I would have no problem with predictions if we were always right. But we're not, and then we do more damage than we do good. All right. Um, so in a quantum universe, there is no such thing as separate observer. If you go to see the Delphic Oracle, your life has changed. When someone makes a prediction, an astrologer, they are delivering a very, very, very high-potency... Um, can you turn that off? I have 45 seconds. <laughs> they are delivering a very high potency homeopathic remedy. And the remedy is this. If I'd say something that is symbolically correct, you have Saturn coming to conjunct your moon, you're going to get divorced. It doesn't matter what you say, think consciously. The image goes into the subconscious and starts doing its work. And then for the next year or two or three, the events that happen get framed in a certain context that then manifests as my prediction, I was right. No, I wasn't right. I actually co-created the event. A good astrologer will not predict in a divorce. A good astrologer will help a client create meaning in their relationship and then get to choose whether divorce or may or may not be a, a valuable outcome. Um, I have much more to say, but I'm done. <laughs> you guys calibrate. Yeah, we're synchronized. Chris and I are synchronizing. Thank you, Rick. So nine minutes? I'll uh, restart it at nine. Start. There we go.
<laughs> All right. All right. So uh, I wanted to start by saying something uh, that's half controversial and half not, which is that the title of this panel, I think, is stupid. Yeah, uh, we all agree. I think every most astrologers I've mentioned the, the title of this panel to have said, why is it titled that or, or what is the with the inflammatory title? And um, part of the reason that astrologers have that immediate gut level reaction, I think personally, is because one of the fundamental problems is that astrology is inherently predictive. So that's true whether you're a predictive astrologer, a psychological astrologer, a horary astrologer, whatever type of astrology you're doing, astrology is fundamentally predictive. And part of the reason for that is even if you're just doing natal astrology and you're just doing psychological astrology, the fundamental premise of what you're doing is that the alignment of the planets at the moment that a person was born has something to say about their future, whether it's their psychological characteristics, their appearance, their relationships, or what have you, you're making the assumption that the alignment of the planets of the person of point at the, the moment a person was born will have something to say about five or 10 or 20 or 30 years in their future, or however long, that means astrology is inherently predictive. Uh, therefore, I would come to the conclusion that the title of this panel is stupid because you could rephrase it and say, is astrology killing astrology? And it, it becomes a sort of uh, pointless question. So the question then, if astrology is, in, is inherently predictive, then the other question that has been raised is, is astrology uh, morally or philosophically wrong? So some astrologers, I mean, one of the points I feel like you were going towards, Stephen, was that there's something uh, wrong about prediction or wrong about the concept of fate in and of itself, and that free will is always positive and fate is always bad, and it's always set up as this uh, dichotomy between the two. But I, I don't necessarily agree with that dichotomy that uh, a prediction is bad and fate is always bad. And to attempt to do that is somehow morally wrong. I think there's actually something valuable and noble about the process of making the attempt, even if you fail sometimes, uh, sometimes spectacularly, like I did and the other panelists did in 2016. That was a, a humbling uh, experience for me and one that I didn't necessarily appreciate at the time, but on some level, uh, you know, I needed to have and the community needed to have. One of the reasons we needed to have it is because um, the point of that panel was not astrological research. Even though the title of ESAR is the International Society for Astrological Research, there was little to nothing to do with research on that panel. It was almost entirely about creating a spectacle and courting the media. And the media were, in, in, were invited in order to witness this panel and witness the predictive power of the astrologers, rather than come and look at the astrologers with their many different takes, because there was astrologers of all different backgrounds on those panels who were using different techniques and different approaches in order to attempt to infer what the outcome of the election would be. Um, but the panel was actually so poorly organized that we got very little time to actually talk about any of that. Uh, in the two weeks in the run-up to the panel, um, ESAR announced to us that they had the, found the birth time for Hillary Clinton, but they weren't going to release it to the public or to the panel until the day of the panel, which left all of us panelists initially kind of screwed because ESAR was telling us they had the birth time, but they weren't going to give it to us until it was too late to figure out what to do with it. Eventually, we sort of uh, protested and uh, there was going to be a walkout of the panelists uh, and eventually they relented and gave us the birth time. And after a two-week ordeal, it turned out that the birth time was fake. Uh, 
<laughs> so the biggest publicity, actually, that the ESAR panel got was not that all the astrologers were wrong. It was a Washington Post article that said there was an ESAR panelist who came up with a birth time for Hillary Clinton or claimed to, and then it turned out that he lied and he retracted the birth time. That was the most publicity that the ESAR panel got. So one of the reasons I'm bringing this up is because I'm almost kind of offended that we're talking about that, that, that we're doing another spectacle. So we're using another inflammatory title to say, is prediction killing astrology that's being hosted by ESAR when ESAR was the one that originally hosted the panel to do these types of predictions? And I kind of suspect we'll do so again in 2020. Mm-hmm. So one of the questions, if we all agree that maybe we shouldn't analyze the approaches and the different traditions that are being used more, rather than focus on the spectacle recording the media, then um, maybe we need to change the way that we do astrology uh, publicly. I think that's one of the things that people have come back to a few times here, which is that what is the purpose of doing that? Are we doing that in order to compare different approaches to astrology and in order to uh, demonstrate different techniques that show probabilistic outcomes? Uh, or are we just trying to impress the public to convince them of, of some sort of astrological powers that we have? So most astrologers know that astrology is probabilistic or that you make, you infer, in, infer outcomes based on your techniques, uh, but the public may not know that. And that's one of the things I think that you were saying, Stephen, that's harmful or that you feel is harmful when people make those predictions. Um, so it's true that astrology is archetypally predictive, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we should only make non-falsifiable statements. So that's one of the, the points that I would like to make. It's true that, um, you know, there's many, there's a specific placement in the birth chart and there's many different possible outcomes, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't attempt to make any statement about that uh, placement. And to the extent that you make any statement, even an archetypal one, that's still a type of prediction based on the person's birth chart or based on those placements. You're still involving predictions. You're just doing qualified predictions. Um, and that brings me to one of my final points, which is the idea of forecasting. Uh, a forecast is just a qualified prediction. It's a prediction where you qualify it by saying, saying, based on this data, such and such seems the most likely outcome. So even using forecast is a sort of euphemism. And that was actually the title of the last ESAR conference was something like the power of forecasting, I believe, right? So one of the things I think we need to do as a community is be more honest Uh, stop using euphemisms, or if you're going to use a euphemism like forecasting and try to set that up as being somehow the opposite of prediction, uh, be honest that you're still actually basically engaging in prediction. You're just doing it in in a more careful and and realistic and honest way by saying that you don't necessarily, you don't have a crystal ball that shows you exactly what's going to happen in the future. You have a set of data that you're trying to infer uh, information from. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. And if you do that, then there's something valuable about prediction. So uh, let's see. The last point that I wanted to make is just that aside from not focusing as much on, um, yeah, I don't think it's morally or philosophically wrong. One of the things I want to say is, Rick, you mentioned the flower that's impossible. And that's the thing that you want to pull out um, of a consultation for many people. But for most astrologers, and I believe for most clients, the flower that is impossible that you you sort of, as you said, pick in the dream and then you wake up and it's still there, that is prediction. I mean, the thing that is impressive to most clients 
and that is this moving and compelling about astrology is that it could have any predictive power at all because it shouldn't. Astrology shouldn't work. And I think if we we stay in this community long enough, we forget that. But if you step outside of the community for just five minutes, you remember that astrology is an incredibly weird, incredibly strange thing that shouldn't work, but for some reason it does. And one of the only reasons that we know that it does is because it has that predictive capability where a chart cast for me for 33 years ago in my life could tell me something about what's happening today. That means astrology has predictive power and there's something incredibly valuable and powerful about that. And instead of rejecting that, I think we need to embrace it. We should do so carefully and honestly, and we should merge it with the uh, modern counseling insights and other things like that. But uh, we shouldn't make like client considerations about how consultations should take place. Let that overrule the actual uh, philosophical concerns and the underlying truth that the underlying truth that astrology is inherently predictive. Before we get to the three questions, I want to say that um, even a topic with a dumb name <laughs> all right, can still get very, in, in, very inspirational and intelligent commentary from astrologers. So let's give them a hand. And I want to say one more thing, which is this, and this is just my quick little input on this. I agree with Chris that it would be wonderful to see uh, when we do these prediction panels to see a more intelligent discussion uh, about the situation, in other words, to analyze the potential behavior of this candidate or this candidate, what that might mean, for example. So we're so we are actually revealing the intelligence of astrology in that sense, and to be able to show, as Chris was talking about, the different techniques and how they've arrived at these techniques as well. I think for us as astrologers, that's interesting, and for the media. It shows the media something different than just win-lose, win-lose. It gets the media involved in an intelligent discussion, and they can say, look, these astrologers are making points here that are just as good, if not better, than all these political pundits who are out here chatting, chatting, chatting. So to me, you know, that becomes a very interesting thing for us to consider. (laughs) So I just wanted to throw that in as well. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you. All right, now we have three questions for the panelists. I'm going to start start over here. I'm going to, How about you, that? You want to go to this yeah. end? All right. All right, here we go. We're going to this end. Here's, he actually predicted earlier that the second round would start at this end. All right, so here's question number one, and you'll each have two minutes to respond to this question. Here we go. When discussing trends with your client, do you seek input from your client regarding their own plans, goals, and intentions regarding the future? Or do you, do you believe that the forecast you offer is irrespective of the client's plans, goals, and intentions? 
Trust you want. Are we sitting down or are we standing up? For this? You could stand up if you like. I don't care. So okay. Uh, stand up so they can hear you. You stand up just in place here. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I think I don't want to be harsh, but that, again, I think that's a dumb question because <laughs> I don't know any astrologers who would answer that in the negative. Are there any astrologers that wouldn't take their clients' background or context or life into account? Like, yes. Who? Um, I, I, there are several, many, and I would only say this out loud because I've heard this person say this in front of a room this large. Um, Alfie Lavoy. Well, but he's an astrologer, and and his point is that I don't want to be distracted by their input. I'm t- I, I have a chart and I'm reading it. Now, I'm I'm just I'm not taking that point. Alfie would though stand out as being extraordinarily unique in that regard. He would. Because I, I think most consulting astrologers do take the background of their client and the context of their life because each astrologer knows that the chart cast for one person could be a chart cast for like a dog who was born at the same moment. And the context of that dog's life and his chart, spectacular as it may be, is going to be different and is going to be limited uh, in much different ways than the chart for a human or the chart for your client. So you've already got to always got to look at the context for the chart and understand it. Does that answer the question? Or I think it's a great answer. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And same question. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Yes, <laughs> and yes, no, I don't know. Um, I, he, I, when I'm sitting with a client, what I do say is something like this. We only have an hour together, you and I. There are many things that I will say that could inspire you to talk for hours, That's what your psychologist or your therapist is for. I want to know, but you need to know that for me to do my job, I want that feedback from you. But at some point in time, I'm going to say, I got it. Let's go on. I'm an Aries. I can do shit like that. Um, It doesn't. It doesn't mean that I'm not interested. It doesn't mean that I don't care. It also doesn't mean that it's not incredibly valuable. It's just there's a trade-off here because there are therapeutic relationships that a client would have where they spend an hour a week for years talking about their stuff. That's not my job. And so as much as I do want that feedback, I also want the control in the session to limit it so that I can also share what it is that they're expecting me to share. Hmm. Is that your final answer? (laughs) Yes, that's it. (laughs) I'm a one-word woman. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) Uh, We have two approaches. We can sit there and be information-orientated astrologer who sits there and looks at the chart and thinks that we know everything that the client is going to uh, wants or uh, is, and we don't. We are looking at a piece of paper, and the person in front of us is a real live person. So I think that it's important to understand and to be on the same. I mentioned this before. ESAR has a consulting skills program that allows us to get integrate to integrate with the client, so that uh, we're both at the same place at the same instant in the same situation. So I think that it's enormously important to. Um, to be there with the client and not sit there with a piece of paper and spill off a whole bunch of information. Thank you.
All right. Stephen. Well, uh, the, the first part of the, the question, you know, pretty obvious. Uh, I do uh, invite input from my clients. Uh, obviously, a, a single mother working as a waitress with four children is going to face a different opportunity space than, you know, somebody single and born wealthy and all of this. So that, that kind of input really helps me ground my predictions of questions in, in concrete terms. And I think it's more helpful for the client. To me, that seems fairly self-evident and obvious. Uh, here, here's where I'll throw a little more complication into it. Um, I, I do not presume that my client should trust me. That is up to the client. And so if a client wants to come and sit with me and go like this, tell me what you've got. That's not my, my happiest situation but I honor their right to not trust me. And then I will say, I will speak to you purely from the symbols. It will be more abstract, of course. It'll be more developmental. But I, I honor the fact that in this intimate counseling situation, it is my task to win your trust rather than to presumptuously assume that, of course, you're going to tell me all your secrets before I start. So that, that's the one little wild card I would throw into the mix. Thank you. How do you win their trust, Stephen? Or how do you win their trust? Or what is it in that process that eventually causes them to open up? What's the uh, question? Can you can you can you hold that question till there's a chance? You'll have a chance to write it down. You'll have a chance to ask that. I'll remember it. Okay. So I should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's You'll get a chance to ask. It. That's a good question. You'll get a chance. really good question. Okay. 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 Please, Christine. Um. Absolutely. I mean. Can I just agree completely with Rick? We're going to have a very short time with the client. Most of the time, there's an exchange of money involved in this as well. So they're investing time and money. They want to hear what I've got to say, but I can't say anything intelligent if we don't actually agree an agenda beforehand of what can reasonably be covered in an hour or 90 minutes. Um, frankly, I prefer to have quite a bit of discussion before they're even there so that we know exactly what we're going to achieve in that time. I also know, and perhaps this is just, this is me, I tend to go to sleep afterwards and then think of something I wish I'd said. Um, equally, I, uh, but I now say that to them. I know this is going to happen. Equally, I know that you're going to go to bed tonight and think, I wish I'd asked her about X. So can we agree that this is going to be followed up within seven days, so that we both clear this up, so that we're both of us content with, with what we've done. But absolutely, I'm listening to where they're coming from. I need to know, particularly in the kind of work that I, I do, I need to know where they're actually at. And I also need to explore, I hope, this is a kind of a, a shade of your flower thing, is, is sharing their vision with them. Because I love the idea that people leave feeling better than when they came in. Right? Um, you know, again, that's an expression of my chart as well. But I think even if somebody is in the middle of some horrible turmoil, we are the masters and mistresses of time. We know when this stuff is going to move on and, and take its shit somewhere else. As you very, <laughs> Can I borrow that line? It's I guess this is my gift to those in the back. Now you can see me. <laughs> just heard me before. Um, first, you know, I'm the other kind of Scorpio on the other end with the black jacket. 
Um, and I'll just say this. I actually disagree with Chris. I don't think this is a dumb question because I think it reflects a change in how astrology is developed. Because when I first got into astrology, when you got a reading, someone might send you a recording. So you just got to, you know, send in your information and just got a recording. Now, we don't do that as much anymore. But that's some way in which some people actually do readings or consultations. So I think the key question is, are we co-facilitating a process with our clients? And I think, like you said, Stephen, it depends on your client right, and how open they are. And I think that's something to take into consideration. I always go in with the, the aspiration that we're going to have a conversation. That's part of the consultation. But sometimes you may have a client who comes in who wants to talk about their dog. I just got a puppy, right? <laughs> they got a puppy and they have a moon Pluto transit right now. <laughs> so it's like, it's, do you really want to spend the money and the time to talk to me about your puppy? And the conversation really isn't about the puppy. So that's something to consider. Um, or maybe, yeah, maybe it's a pit bull. I heard you going. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of the conversation we can have, how it goes into a deeper moment. But I think sometimes you may have to go in knowing that the client may not know what he or she wants. And we have to kind of guide some aspect of the conversation until we get to a proper place. Sorry. Thank you. All right. Now we're going to go to question two. And um, maybe we'll start... We'll go from this side to this okay. side. Okay. Question two. Mundane astrology is concerned with forecasting about events in the world. Are you comfortable in making public predictions? If so, why? If not, why? So I am most skeptical about mundane astrology. And so I'm going to go into... So my gripes, why? I mentioned earlier, sometimes it's the biases of the astrologer blown into public relief. And other times I find that mundane astrologers often talk about things that if you didn't really sit down or if you did sit down and think about it, you could come up on your own. Like, yeah, well, you know, I think, um, for instance, you know, Trump is going to make a gaffe next week. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> He's going to have some problems in his administration. Okay, none of the other <laughs> problems in his administration. I, mean, I get that. I understand. So I, I actually would love to see mundane astrologers held to a higher standard. Do better. Do more. Um, take more risks if you're going to take the risks. But stop, stop being mealy-mouthed about like talking about things as if you're fashioning something that's deep and profound. Um, that couldn't be reasoned by sense or probability or logic. So, um, and I'm saying that as a skeptic, someone who knows astrology, because I often will see um, astrologers do that. And often another thing that astrologers will do and not take responsibility when they're wrong. You know, there's an astrologer who's been predicting an economic downturn for 10 years. And those who know me on Facebook, you see me <laughs> engage this particular person. Um, but I don't think we do that enough hold each other responsible. Like, you're saying such and such. Well, is that true? So I think in terms of whether I do mundane or public predictions, I will do it if, for instance, there's something I think we can glean from astrology that's unusual or insightful, but otherwise, I question the purpose. Oh, dear. I think I'd better go and sit over there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, 
Am I comfortable doing it? No, I'm not. But am I going to continue doing it? Yes. <laughs> um, it's the nature of, I, I work with a lot of business people. They trade across the world. They want my opinion on where I think particular countries are headed and whether or not it's a good idea trading in certain ways. Um, yes, I've got a reasonable record. They wouldn't come back. I mean, that, that's the fact. They wouldn't come back if what I was saying wasn't helpful to them. Um, and that's the bottom line. But does, am I comfortable doing it? No, I'm not. And part of that is that there, there is, you know, really we should worship the, the, the ground that Nick Campion walks on, you know, because he is, you know, a wonderful data collector. But we all have to do that more and we should be sharing more data because the number of times that my problem is I haven't got the up-to-date thing. I want to know who said what when, right? Um, I don't know if you noticed, but, you know, from the minute that I came in today and as I've been greeting people, I've actually been taking the time that I met because I want I want to hear the meaning of it. But we need to be better, uh, you know, sorry, this is, I'm preaching, I know this, and to the converted, but actually our data collection is not good enough. And I would be more comfortable in my job if I had better access to that material. Thank you. Well, mundane astrology isn't my main area, but like most of us have pulled into it quite a lot and uh, not comfortable making public predictions in the rigid sense. Uh, I am fine predicting questions. <laughs> I, once in 1975 or so in the pages of a magazine called The Sun, I predicted the breakup of the Soviet Union and everybody said, oh, that's not going to happen. You know, I wish I weren't so proud of that. Because <laughs> in a way, I think I got lucky and demonstrated bad astrology by assuming that there was a future out there that already existed. And I had the crystal ball and I could foresee it. Um, I've got two minutes and it's a big lecture here. America's midheaven progressed into Gemini uh, right around Inauguration Day. America faced a question. You know, okay, so we elected, you know, or something like that, Trump with his Jiminian qualities. The question, as, as I would put it, so America's dharma on the planet, our mission on the planet, if we get it right, we become a beacon of open-mindedness, of education, of tolerance, of, of research, of curiosity, all the high Geminian things. But if you get Gemini wrong, we're flaky, we're distracted, we're running around in 17 directions at once and nobody on the planet knows what the heck we're doing. Okay, we know it happened, but my role as an astrologer, I think, is to cast a light on what should have happened and what can still happen. That's the spirit I like to bring to this work. Chris. Well, as I've already said, you know that I do do mundane astrology. Um, in the early days that I was talking about before, about um, the kind of astrology that we were that we were learning more of had more to do with predicting. I would go on television every New Year's because I was in the broadcast industry and all my friends in the broadcast industry knew that I was studying astrology. So they would phone me up and say, can we do a New Year's presentation on, on what's going to happen in the upcoming year and so on and, and political predictions in my own area and so on. And it was kind of good fun. But that was in those days. And you know that I've changed my attitude and I've changed my way of doing this. And right now, what I would prefer to do, um, some of you may know, um, I work with a geodetic 
world map and I look at global hotspots, as I've said earlier. But what I would rather do is, is look at these events, uh, study these events, write articles, write the book on, 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 uh, how to look at the world from a mundane point of view and discuss it among astrologers, among ourselves to see if we can find better ways and, and, um, more uh, predictable, perhaps, methods of determining uh, where things are going. So I'd like it as an academic study, but I prefer now not to go on television anymore uh, to make wild predictions, and so I don't do that anymore. But I do enjoy it as an academic study and a discussion among ourselves or a lecture I might give uh, on what I've been uh, learning and working with. So. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I think mundane astrology is incredibly important. Um, but I also don't necessarily believe it's important in a specifically, in a specifically predictive manner. I believe it's important in a multivalent archetypal manner. Now, um, many of you may know that for about Eight years, Jeff Jower and I co-authored a book for Barnes & Noble called Your Astrology Guide. And in every one of those, we had a section. Um, I mean, it was a sun sign oriented book, but there was a, a fairly substantial section on what's happening, you know, next year. And um, some of our predictions were very right on and others were very stupidly not right on. Yeah. <laughs> That's not, for me, though, the highest use of mundane astrology. Uh, one of my lectures here at UAC is on the, uh, what I call, Walt's time for civilization, three times a century, one, two, three, uh, Saturn and Pluto align. And, um, and by looking, again, not just prediction, and I just want to touch back on something Chris said because I agreed with him, but he only said half the equation, and that is how important prediction is. And although I'm, I, I talk a hard act against it, I totally agree. It's, it's, it's an odd thing, but I don't think that prediction is any more important than postdiction when, when working with time. Um, let me just make these points real quickly. Um, so um, for years, I've been talking to my clients, to my audience, to my readers, to anyone who listened, um, that come 2010 to 2020, we're going to see a replay and a twist of what happened in the 60s. Duh. Why? This is mundane astrology because Uranus and Pluto aligned in the 60s and Uranus and Pluto are squaring now. We look at the cycles of these planets. This is different than Nick Campion's awesome work and doing actual predictions you know, based upon the birth time of a city or a nation. I think this is important stuff. I think it's more complicated than being reduced often to a single chart. Um, but I think that we, what we, it's important that we do Monday in astrology, but what about Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, what other thing, very quickly, seriously. One of the most important books that I read as I was studying psychology and learning astrology was a book by Norman O. Brown called Love's Body, which was a look at historical development in respect to uh, Freudian psychoanalysis. And that, in a way, was 
mundane astrology for us that was taking the individual human individual to to humanity um ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny um the history of the individual recapitulates the species the history of the culture is also tied into that it's part of the holographic thing sorry for going over thanks right <laughs> So the, the question is, uh, mundane astrology is concerned with forecasting about events in the world. Are you comfortable making public predictions? So part of my, my answer is, is A, uh, I'm not a mundane astrologer, and I think only half of the panelists here do mundane astrology. I think me and Stephen and Sam are primarily natal astrology, so that's our primary specialty. And in fact, most astrologers around the world are primarily natal astrologers. Uh, so... There's a bit of contradiction. It then asks, are you comfortable making public predictions? You don't have to be a mundane astrologer to make public predictions or to make any predictions because there's different branches of astrology. There's at least four major branches, and all of them do predictions from different standpoints. So you have natal astrology making predictions based on birth charts. Uh, you have electional astrology making predictions based on inception charts. And you have horary astrology making predictions based on the charts of questions. So... Even though I'm not a mundane astrologer, I am comfortable making public predictions, but I only do so very carefully and with great trepidation. And I think most people should approach it with that in mind um, because of the issue that Stephen raised, which is the potential harm that can come when you make an incorrect prediction. So one of the things that is a legitimate community issue is that astrologers too often fall into the trap of almost being too comfortable issuing public statements and making pub public predictions without having sufficient data, as in the case of the last election where a lot of us were using different birth times for Hillary Clinton, or sometimes without actually researching the subject too extensively. Uh, you know, with the advent of blogs and websites, everybody can issue a prediction and every other astrologer is writing articles and statements, you know, every other day at this point. So maybe, uh, to take this back to the actual point of this panel, maybe there is a community issue in terms of how relaxed astrologers are in some instances about making public predictions, and perhaps we should uh, only make them with greater uh, trepidation or be more careful in the process. And that's one of the things I think I learned from that panel, uh, what, one or two years ago. Um, but I don't think that we should not make predictions uh, if that's part of the implied question, because there may still be something there of value in terms of the almost scientific process of trial and error and refining our craft by continually putting ourselves out there. And if you never put yourself out there to make the prediction, then it, it doesn't quite matter as much if you just whisper to yourself, yeah, I got it right. <laughs> Great. Thank you very much. I think the question was also about comfort about the comfort zone that you have about making public predictions, and that was a good response to that, definitely. All right, we have question three. I'll read the question, and we'll start with Sam. All right. Some astrologers define astrology as primarily divination. Some even go so far as to say they are reading the mind of God or reading the cosmic mind. What is your opinion about astrology as divination? And do you use astrology in this way, such as with horary charts 
For example, well, I gave up trying to speak for God when I left the ministry. <laughs> so, I, I, I don't have that aspiration, but I definitely can relate to the question because in one of my debates with a mundane astrologer um, via my blog, he, he actually wrote on my blog, he said, well, you know, maybe you just don't know how to do mundane astrology because when you do it, you do it right, you can read the mind of God. <laughs> And that stuck with me, you know, both as a sense like, oh, this man's crazy. Um, <laughs> but on another level, it made me think that I wonder if there are other astrologers who believe this. And I think there are. And I think that, you know, Chris used the word trepidation. That gives me immense trepidation, not because of my former occupation, um, but more so, more so because of the idea that we we don't we just talked about this how we don't have this lack we have this lack of clarity about probability and possibility fate versus free will so how dare we how can we know that for certain what I do think we can do is step into the mystery acknowledge it as mystery and come out with some signs and some sense of what it might mean whether that's by probability or by some means of feeling certain along a certain spectrum but no I don't believe that we can, you know, I mean, the roots of astrology is definitely di divination, but I don't think we can know the divine mind. Right. Thank you very much. Christine? I almost want to say that the question's too hard, I can't answer it. Um, I think it's really difficult, this. I'm trying to work out what happens when I actually look at a chart. And I've always felt, I, I've come from a musical background, and I've always felt that I hear the chart before anything mm. else. I kind of, mm -hmm. there's a certain uh, rhythm to it and, and a sound to it. Um, and usually within the first couple of minutes, you can tell, well, somebody, uh, let, let me give you an example. This, this gentleman came for, for a reading and he was very, he happened to be very tall. And when he sat down in the chair, he was, he was a bit like this and he came from that, um, Uranus Pluto mob, you know, they, the middle 60s. Mm -hmm. And and I started to talk about how rare this group were and how that particular alignment, you know, you have to go back several thousand years <clears throat> to find an exact one, whatever. And I started to talk about them as though they were being like um, gods from another time or whatever. And as I was speaking, the guy, his back went straight. You know, it was, like, it was really, it was the most amazing moment, Trent. And, and I felt at that moment that there's something really special was happening. Now, I don't think it was anything to do with me whatsoever. I think it was something that was the magic in the moment, which I think both Rick and, and Steve, you both, you, I think something does happen and it happens through us, but it isn't actually us. And I think the really, the two things that are, are key, I want to pick up on a word you used earlier, is that we have to be kind first. Mm -hmm. and, and the other thing is that there's a consequence for everything that we say. Right? And I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm acutely aware of that. And it started to become more acute at the point where we started to record the consultations. Because you realize somebody might be listening to this in five or ten years' time. You know, so there, there's, there's more pressure now before. And I'm sorry, I'm not actually going off topic here. I don't think, that, I just think something magical happens. I don't know if it's divine. I don't know what it is, but something special does happen within this. Thank you very much. Stephen. Okay. 
I want to thank the brilliant author of these questions. I, I don't know, if it, but I'm changing my business card. I can read God's mind. <laughs> Somehow I think this would be a bad idea. Right? And, and, uh, the, the language is so pretentious. And, and uh, obviously, if we claim to know God's mind, we're, we're arrogant, you know, to the nth degree. But I think that's what we're trying to do. I think I think that's the bottom line essence of astrology. It's guiding us. This is the will of God for us. It reveals dharma. It reveals uh, the unfolding of your spiritual journey or psychological journey. The chart on astrology does reveal God's will or the divine will for each one of us. Uh, language will vary, but you know this transcendent idea. I, I bow to that, and uh, it, it's our task to try to do this impossible thing and to do it as well as we can. Um, do I have 40 seconds? Yeah, you got one minute and four oh, seconds. Oh, right. There's horary. I, 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 do, I do a little bit of horary. Mostly I'm too busy with my clients. I look too far ahead to, to deal with horary questions. But one time, I, my cat used to go outside, lost its collar. And it was, where's the collar? Because we kept having to replace this thing. So I set up an orary chart. Oh, it's in the it's in the west. It's outside the house. It's down low, and it's wet. It's like, oh, we have a drainage ditch that runs, you know, north south that side of the property. I walk out there confidently, you know, reach down. It's not there. <laughs> I was totally wrong. But then a few days later, I found it west side of the house on the deck. The cat had tried to drink out of a glass and somehow got the head stuck and the collar was sitting in a glass on the western <laughs> side of the house down in some, some water. It was wet. Horror was right. But I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the world of being human. <laughs> Thank you. I'm looking at this word divination and I'm wondering divination does it mean it's divine? Is astrology divine? Is it divinely inspired? Or when we are working with a client, are we getting some kind of special inspiration in knowing the right thing to say from this piece of paper that we're looking at and this client that we're dealing with? It makes me wonder, or it made me wonder as I read this. And... I think that there is something to that in a way that I don't think that I am just looking at a chart and deciphering symbols on the chart as much as I think over time I develop some kind of a perception on what is an appropriate thing to say at the right time. So would that be a, a divine perception? Would that be a form of divination? It's a question that I put to myself as I read this. Now, the other part of the question is, I do do horary astrology and I do electional astrology. And I've often said that horary astrology is the divination form of astrology because there is something rather special about horary, isn't there? How on earth does it work? A client gives, a, gives you a question, you look at a chart, 
And you can see so much in there pertinent to that particular moment and that question. And that seems really quite mysterious to me. And But this other part, reading the mind of God, I have enough trouble reading my own mind. <laughs> All right, so I absolutely have a... I absolutely believe that we can use astrology to read the mind of God, except it's in Klingon. <laughs> um, Albert Einstein said, I want to know the mind of God, the rest are details. In, up until the time of Johannes Kepler, the divine proportion was everything above the earth. The heavens were considered to be the divine proportion. Kepler's great heresy was that he was able to formulate using human intellect that which was in the divine, and this was an astounding development in human consciousness. Astrology is about reading the divine proportion. It's about reading the mind of God. It doesn't mean that God has an answer. God may be just as confused as we are. He doesn't know he, she, it, they don't know whether Schrodinger's cat is dead or alive. <laughs> no, this is important stuff. So, yes, we can read the mind of God. Um, and um, what Christine said, I look at, I mean, to me, astrology is music of the spheres, the Pythagorean and Keplerian concept of the music of the spheres was not an extrapolation. It's not a metaphor. I think of this wonderful book, I Never Metaphor I Didn't Like, but that's something else. <laughs> um, um, by Mar Marty Grody. It's a great book. Um, but, but the planets are ultra, ultra low frequency harmonies. Instead of beating at 440 cycles a second, A below middle C, instead of that, it's planets are beating at three cycles a century, Saturn, four cycles a millennium, Pluto, 13 cycles a year. This is music. We just can't hear it. We dance to it. We live it. We breathe it, but it doesn't come through the years. And so I absolutely agree with you. When I look at a chart, it's like, it, I, it, it's a hum. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm less interested in looking at all the points. Ah, and points. How much time do I have? Six, 15 seconds. I won't go over. Um, <laughs> fate and free will are like particle and wave. Uh, quantum physics says that the universe is both particle and wave. That light travels as a wave, we measure it, it's a particle. There is fate. And fate is the particularization of the waveform of the quantum indeterminacy. When we pop the quantum wave function, boom, that is fate. Um, I, I've never, never said there isn't fate. Fate and free will are like particle and wave. They are like, they are like any pair of opposites. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, so first, I, I needed to ask, which, which of you two wrote the question? <laughs> <laughs> this was really a collaborative effort. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to understand what, because uh, you're asking do we, how we define astrology, if we define it as divination or if we use Fourier, and I just wanted to understand what the underlying emphasis was, because I'm not sure if it was really clear what you're, you're getting at in terms of how it relates to is prediction killing astrology? Well, we were looking at the different kinds of prediction that there are, mm -hmm. you know, in different beliefs or concepts or philosophies behind that. 
Okay. And so that's where this came from. Okay. Uh, then if that's the case, then part of the contrast then I think is I would fall more on the side. I think compared to Rick, we've had conversations about this before where he views astrology more causally as the planets causing things to happen. And one of the ways you conceptualize that is through those low frequency waves, right? That's a tricky question. Okay. I'll, I'll say yes. So, yeah. But, but, but. There needs to be other explanation. But yes, I, I, I would agree with that. So part of the reason that the, the idea of astrology as divination has become popular in the past two decades, uh, especially through the work of Jeffrey Cornelius and, and secondarily through the work of, of people like Carl Jung, is astrologers have been reviving a conceptualization of astrology where the planets are seen as giving signs or indications of events in the future rather than causing them to happen. And I guess that's the way that this question is relevant, because I don't necessarily personally believe that the planets are causing things to happen here on Earth, but instead they're merely reflecting or, or indicating things that are happening. The, the common analogy is that like a clock on the wall indicates that it's nine o'clock in the morning without being the cause or the reason that it's nine in the morning. That's in some way what the planets are doing. And I think that's the dominant conceptualization of astrology at that point in time. Um, so to the extent that that's the case, um, I think that we can, I think that we can make, uh, predictions and prediction is relevant and can be made because the planets are reflecting what's happening on here, here on earth. And if that's the case, then it's not necessarily wrong to do so because we're just describing what is or what will be. Uh, in a way that's, um, you know, the same as describing a calendar or the clock on the wall. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. All right. Now you have an opportunity to ask each other questions. And I know you had a question you wanted to ask, Stephen. Sure. So what was, what was the context? Did you remember it, Stephen? Yeah, it was uh, winning the trust of the client. And you were asking how I knew when that had happened. Oh, right. Okay. So you, you were, so one of my questions was you were recalling an incident where, or a common theme that astrologers experience where you have like a closed lift client who is like crossing their arms and they just want you to tell them about their life or to kind of impress them. And then you just, you, you basically, that's not your preferred approach. You prefer a dialogue, all astrologers do, and usually astrology is more effective that way. But you um, then have to just do the reading, and you then read their chart. And, and uh, presumably one of the things you try to do is, is break through that or pierce through that, that sort of wall that they have. Yes. And usually you feel like you're successful in doing that, right? Generally. But how? How, how are you successful or, or what are the implications if you are successful in doing that? Like, how did you become successful? Yeah. It's, a, it's a delicate area. It's a, the idea that most astrologers are more comfortable with the dialogue. Um, my, my work with clients actually tends towards presentation. Like half the work I do is actually recorded and sent to people. Uh, I always invite information. I take it in, but in in the in the context of my my work, I'm probably talking ninety percent of the time. Uh, I, I realize that's a bit of an outlier. Um, I'm comfortable with it. I'm I'm most comfortable if I if if I do have some information, you know. But if I don't, again, the idea that I I don't feel that I can presume that the client should trust me, that I have to win that trust. And and when we're sitting together, much of it just comes through humanly. A person uh, 
uh, you know, their eyes get wide, they're nodding their head, they're expressing gratitude. They, the person who had been like this, you know, relaxes, opens up. Um, it, it's just human information when you're feeling trust and rapport. Uh, when I'm teaching astrology with my, my students, I, I emphasize a, a more technical insight. It's a rather simple one. Um, when the client reveals the moon, you know, the moon is that most vulnerable part of, of, of what we are. When you're loose with somebody, your moon will tend to show more. So if I'm sitting with a client with the Aries moon, you know, who's like this, when they start arguing with me, I know they trust me. <laughs> the person with the cancer moon, you know, and they ask me if I'm tired or if I need a glass of water, you know. I, I mean, uh, I'm cartooning this a bit. I, I can say it in more sophisticated ways. But, but humanly, the, the astrological analysis of the presentation of trust is the revelation of the moon. When I see that, then uh, typically dialogue arises spontaneously. I don't have to ask for it. It arises. Uh, one more day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do any of you have questions for Can any of the Can I respond to that one as well? Yes, right. absolutely. Um, somebody asked me to do a reading for a friend of those, and I said, um, no, I can't do it like that. They have to ask for it themselves. But, you know, how you organize the payment between you, that's fine. But I need to know that this person really wants it. So this young man arrived um, is, is early November, and it happened to be a very cold November. But he arrived at that. Do you remember um, the Sandyman Port? Did you have that here? Um, yeah. And the guy is dressed up. They used to do a bottle where the guy was wearing a, a black sort of sombrero hat, and he's got a black cape around him. So this guy arrived at the door wearing shady glasses and covered in black. And he had... Um, a, a stellium in, in Scorpio, which included the moon. Right? Mm -hmm. And he, he he came in and I had a list. I, I always have a list of things that I want to talk about. And I usually say, look, I've got a list. I probably won't get through it. But sometimes I'll say how many items are on the list. And I was about halfway through this thing. And he said, um, could we talk about secrets? And just at that moment, you know, I knew that actually I, I was okay. It was going to be fine. But I was very, very nervous about it. So, yes, you're absolutely right. It's the moon moment. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to first appreciate something that Chris McGray said, which is even though it was my organization that sponsored the prediction panel um, or sponsored the uh, 2016 presidential prediction panel, um, whether we should do it again. So I have a question to Chris Brennan and Christine Skinner, who were on it. Um, would you do it again? And if so, what would that panel look like? How would it be different? Uh, I guess I should stand up. I mean, I, I would... Um you know, I don't want to be highly critical of ESAR because ESAR does so many great things. Uh, but I think the way that that panel was organized was so slapdash. It had such broad community implications. And that was one of Stephen Forrest's sure. argument in his follow-up article, which I actually agreed with, which is that if this is going to be the thing that gets out and represents the entirety of the community as astrologers, it should, if it's going to happen at all, it should be done very well and very deliberately and very carefully 
and I didn't feel like the panel was done very well or carefully, and it was more focused on sensationalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I don't think I would participate again because I suspect even to the extent that this is still somewhat sensationalistic with the is prediction killing astrology, that that will probably be a continuing theme if it was done again in 2020. Thank you. Um, uh, exactly for, for the reasons you've said, I wouldn't do it again because I found it a very unpleasant experience. It was unpleasant in the fact the whole row beforehand about the time of birth. Um, that, you know, that was really appalling. It was, you know, we really shoot ourselves in the foot with that. And certainly, I don't want to do anything ever again where it's based, where it, the whole premise is about the media, right? I'm very happy to take part in it so that we all forecast, all of us, you know, and then let's all of us, uh, you know, share ideas. And it doesn't matter if 50, 50% get it right and 50% get it wrong. But we, we actually, we've shared the thing. But I absolutely, no, I'm not in front of the media like that. And and that was absolutely shameful, really. We don't need to shoot ourselves. The thing absolutely. with the time, it was, it was shocking. Thank you. All right. Uh, just a very short, very short story. A number of years ago, I was invited to be on a radio show um, with James Kelleher, who's an, an amazingly excellent Vedic astrologer. I think he lives in San Francisco these days. Um, he'd been on the show often before. We arrived just a few minutes before the show. It was a live AM radio show, drive time in Seattle, in the studio. The person whose show was came out, said, hey, James, blah, 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 introduced um, himself to me. Um, and said, so, okay, so here's what's going to happen. We're going to start off. We're going to introduce the, um, it was a presidential election year. Um, he said, I'm going to just talk about the election coming up. Then I'm going to have each of you write your prediction for who's going to win the election, um, and put it in a sealed envelope. Then we're going to have talk. We'll go to a commercial. We'll come back and we'll open up the envelopes and kind of make a big deal out of it. And I said, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, to me, astrology, is not a game show. I'd be happy to talk about the candidates and I'd be happy to discuss the issues that are at play in the universe right now. Um, but I, that's, I, if you want me to do that, I, I, I won't be on the show. It's just not what I do. And the guy was furious. Yeah. And he said to James, well, what about you? And he goes, I'm, I'm kind of with Rick. <laughs> and, and he said, well, well, we go on in a minute. Okay. He was pissed. We sat down and he introduced us. He pulled a sheet of paper out of his desk and he goes, well, I have with us great astrologer and blah, blah, blah. And I have a sheet of paper in front of me that says on October 23rd, the world will be, will end. What does astrology say about that, Rick Levine, great astrologer? And I said to him, as your temporarily court appointed astrologer, I'd like to give you the following advice. Don't cancel appointments for November. <laughs> and at that moment, it was that trust thing. Yeah. I won him over. We had a great conversation. Oh, yeah. But I, yeah. but I it, I was at the event. I was at both of those events as an as a, um, audience member, and it was horrific. Yeah, it was appalling. Yeah, mm-hmm. some good astrology, mm-hmm. but it was horrific. Okay, let's get a response. I have just a fifteen second follow up statement. So uh, one of the things I should mention is uh, that's actually relevant from a technical and philosophical standpoint is just. One of the issues with the panel for me and one of the things that I learned was the primary technique that I was using indicated this very simplistic interpretation was indicated that Hillary was hitting the highest point in her career yeah. 
and Donald Trump would have a career transition that would start about a year after the election. And I didn't understand why Trump would have a major career transition that would last for two years, starting a year after the election. And I assumed that meant that he would lose the election and then go on to do something else. And now here we are a year later, and, and there's all of these indictments coming out, and his sort of future and career is looking a little bit more uncertain in terms of having the White House. And it turned out in the retrospect that Hillary did indeed probably hit the highest point of her career at that time, but that didn't mean that she would win. Mm -hmm. So there was something very important there that I had to learn about. Even though you can sometimes see things with astrology, you may not interpret it correctly. Yeah. There may be other variables or other data that you can't take into account, or you may simply miscall what you're looking at based on whatever your biases, your, your background, whatever else. And there's always going to be that invariability uh, in any prediction. And so actually to answer your question, Sam, that's one of the things that I learned that would give me pause about doing uh, another panel is the sort of hubris involved in, in thinking that you can always know and get it down that much. And maybe there is something to, you know, being more humble about it uh, as a result of that. Thank you. But don't forget, she did win the can popular vote. Yes. Can I say something about that? Uh, Chris, Chris I, got yeah. her hand oh, up right, I'm sorry. right before I, you. And, and so, Chris, go ahead. That is exactly why I say that I think that it makes a... Thank you, Chris, because that's exactly why I say that it makes a very good exercise for astrologers to astrologers or at an astrology convention uh, as a lecture or a learning mm -hmm. process, mm -hmm. but not to expose ourselves, excuse the way I put that, <laughs> well, let's, let's have a conversation about that. I mean, because that's the question is, should things like this be restricted to classes and analysis of techniques? Or should we ever put ourselves out like that in order to check ourselves and test ourselves? I mean, as a community, we really need to make a decision about that instead of just having it done in, in more of a slapdash manner. But perhaps the community should be involved in deciding whether events like that should happen or whether they should be done more as like classes. Yeah. In fact, I just want to throw something in. Uh, I was going to ask Chris and Christine if they would consider participating in a future panel if they were involved in the design and process of how that panel was going to occur. Um, I, I don't know, because one of the things that was funny about that panel is I actually uh, decided I was getting out of political astrology after the 2012 election because I realized <laughs> that politics was getting so nasty that I thought that astrologers could become targets if they made the wrong prediction or not the wrong prediction. If they made a prediction that a certain political party didn't like, that they could be on the receiving end of harassment. And I thought that that ultimately, um, if you go back historically, Astrologers do tend to get in trouble when they get on the wrong side of the government or the people in power. So I actually, me being on that panel, the only reason I ended up doing it and I was going to drop out at the last minute was just because uh, I, I just felt like I wanted to be there to make sure it was done well, even though that was going to be my last time doing it. And then hilariously, of course, I got it, I got it wrong. Uh, but I would be involved in helping you guys. If you're going to do it, then I'd at least be involved in helping you to plan it and do it well even if I didn't participate myself. Terrific. Mm -hmm. All right, great. Christine, you... Oh. I, and then I'll go I def Yeah. I think I would like to do it again with you, Chris. I enjoyed being part of... I enjoyed the people, right? I enjoyed listening 
to how everybody had come up with their ideas. Mm -hmm. I was really sorry that the audience didn't have the same there was there wasn't the set there wasn't the interaction. And I think that would have been really good. There needed to be almost like a much bigger panel. Right? And and certainly I would want absolute reassurance that this was not it's not a stunt show, right? Yeah. I don't need the press there for that. Mm-hmm. All right, and Sam. No, I was just going to say. I mean, I heard what you said, Alan, which is that you know she won the popular vote, and you know I know that even um, there was a, a statement issued um, that made that that said that she won the popular vote, and I disagree with that in the sense that you know if you're going to call something, just stand by it, have the you know testicular ovarian fortitude, and just stick by it. <laughs> you know, like she lost the end. Mm-hmm. That mind of God is tricky. After that disaster, I, I wrote a piece for my, my uh, newsletter. And the uh, essence of it was pretty simple. Like, what if instead of who's going to win the election, the panel had been the U.S. Uh, election? And here's the U.S. chart. And oh, what is yeah. the dharma of our country now? What's going on with our country? Uh, look at the individual clients. How well do they align with the larger evolutionary context mm. of our country? How does their journey and the archetypes behind them resonate with all of this? Like and what synchronistic uh, stuff is likely to happen? You know, predicting events and developments in the world or in their lives because astrology is so tuned into synchronicity. Like what, what can astrology say about all this? And then finally, oh, by the way, who do you guess might win? You know, make, making that the least important part of the presentation. Who do you guess might win given all of these things? So astrology putting its best foot forward, its best face forward, Juicy, quotable quotes would have come out of that. We could have gotten a healthy press out of that. Instead, we made asses out of ourselves. <laughs> so. Well, what, to, what though is different about that? Because we kind of did that on the panel. Were, were you at the panel? No, no, I was in China. Okay. I, I mean, I just tried, because I read that in your article, because you were, you were really the main critic of the panel after the fact, and so your article was very important. What do you see is different in your model versus what, what you think happened at, at the panel that took place that would be better or an improvement, or how could it specifically be improved? You know, it's, it's quite possible I'm coming out, coming out of ignorance here. Mm. <laughs> That's a pretty good rule of thumb in general, of course. But uh, the, the reason I say it is that my assumption about what happened on the panel was based on what I heard on Facebook, uh, what, what the media did around the panel, astrologers get it wrong again. Uh, so I, I wasn't there. And the impression I got, which probably reflects the impression that larger world got of the thing, was astrologers set out to predict who would win the election and they got it wrong. Perhaps something entirely different than that happened. So I was not a witness of it. I mean, the problem is just that even if we did your model, ultimately, that's still going to be the main thing the press reports. Even if it's a yeah, footnote at the end yeah, of it, yeah, it's still yeah, going to be yeah. astrologers right. predict. Right. He's yeah. talking Such about the framing of it, yeah. and you've got a point. The press will right. grab something else. Yeah, I, I tend to side with Chris McCray. I don't think we need to make it public. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, we've reached a point where I want to ask the audience a question because the next part of this presentation is you having a chance to ask the panelists questions. But 
How many of you would like a like a three minute break before we go on? I see hands. All right, let's take let's take three four minute break and then come back. Yeah. Brave come back. We're going to continue with questions for each other. What we're going to do is we're going to allow the now the audience gets a chance to ask their questions of the panelists and. The panelists must respond in two minutes or less. We and is there the a part where the panelist gets to ask questions of the audience? <laughs> Maybe your answer could be a question. Yeah. All, right. Oh. Stuff. All right, so raise your hand if you have a question. Yes, please. Stand a woman right there, right there. You had your hand up first. And Go. could you say your name and where you're from, where, where you've arrived from? Yeah, Mary Ellen from Connecticut. So um, leaving aside all these tricky issues and questions around um, prediction, I just am curious what each of you think, what is the most valuable kind of prediction to make? Because for some things, um, for example, predicting the outcome of a horse race. Um, you could win money only if you, like if everybody knows that this is the one horse that's so great and everybody, then the odds are bad. So you're not going to make much money. So there's only, you know, sometimes you could be right and it doesn't really matter because you're not going to make any money off of the bet. Now that's one example. In other terms, so, so being right, in other words, is not always does not always matter. So in what areas do you think prediction is valuable for whatever reason, not monetary or, or, or otherwise? Like, for example, one that comes to my mind that I think would be a really valuable form of prediction uh, is being able to predict, say, um, uh, you know, natural disasters, like a tornado or something like that. Because we just had a couple tornadoes in Connecticut that was pretty scary last week. Okay. Um, so I'm just curious what your thoughts are on, uh, not you know, uh, not from a monetary standpoint, but from a standpoint of actual value. When is prediction important? Okay, great. I think the most valuable prediction is any prediction that can make an individual feel that there's an underlying sense of meaning and purpose in their life. And there's many different ways that you can do that. Uh, I think the most common or the easiest way to do that is through natal astrology. But I've seen that happen with horary astrologers or electional astrologers or, or relationship analysis astrologers. But, you know, whatever te technique you're using, um, it, whether it's like a Saturn cycle and being able to show how the transits of Saturn have mapped out important turning points in a person's life. Uh, and being able to predict where another important turning point is coming up in the future, however archetypal or, or general that is, to the extent that you end up making an accurate prediction, I think one of the val real tangible pieces of value to that is it actually gives people uh, a sense that there the, there's a, an order to the cosmos and that there's something purposeful and meaningful about it and to their life, rather than it just being this random, chaotic, purposeless meaningless uh, sort of thing. That's one of the greatest values to astrology and, and prediction is a access point or a gateway to that, however you do it. All right. If I had four minutes to talk instead of two, that would have been my first two minutes. <laughs> what Chris said. However, I would take it another step further as he might in two more minutes too. But I think that the 
most important prediction that I can make as an astrologer is not astrological. If I tell a client that the last five times in your life Saturn squaring or conjuncting or opposing your sun or your moon had some sort of you know bad something attached to it, the most important prediction I can do for tell a client is if you don't do something about your life today, it ain't going to get any better. It's a not at non-astrological prediction. The prediction is if you want something to happen in your life and you don't start it today, what's the Chinese proverb? The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. And if you didn't, the be- second best time is now. That is the prediction. It's not astrological, but it's useful. Uh, it's not useful to just put some date out in the future without having something wrapped around it that becomes a yoga or a practice or a way in which a client can harness the energy. And, and it, it, I mean, it's exactly what Chris said, is the only useful prediction is one that allows a client to um, make his, life, his or her life better. And often that is a feeling of, oh, my God. I am part of the cosmos. I am not separate from it. Mm-hmm. I have found my place in the cosmos because the cosmos is in me. That is is profound. So I agree. Thank you. And, and what I would say is that going along with what these two have said, I think it depends on the, the intimacy, intimacy related to how we create a circle of influence between the astrologer and another person. And the more you broaden that circle of influence, the weaker astrology gets. Because once you go toward the point of like there's a tornado coming, and this is where astrologers go toward delusion, no one's going to listen to the astrologer. They don't even listen to the weather person, right? <laughs> so I think the key thing is realizing that you have the most impact in terms of a certain circle of influence. Chris? Thank you. It's interesting you should ask that question because I'm going to be doing a talk at this conference uh, about um, utilizing a geodetic concept that allows us to look at what's going on on planet Earth in terms of cataclysmic events, uh, 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 action, um, uh, weather patterns, and uh, various, as I spoke earlier, about uh, global hotspots. And so it is a, um, a framework that can be used in order to look at the prognosis of what could be happening uh, or is a strong possibility of something that could be happening on this planet, um, physically, geophysically, even politically. So um, at any rate, you know, it's, it's an idea to have a process that we could attempt to determine those events across this planet, isn't it? Okay, thank you. Thank you, Chris. All right, next question. Oh. Oh, well, you got a response? Gonna, everybody can respond. She asked everybody. So okay. So. <laughs> the point is, the point is, she did ask everybody, but not everybody has to respond. So. Uh, 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 okay. You don't have to respond. Okay. <laughs> right. So I, I can't speak for Christine. <laughs> so, so don't. <laughs> I won't. I won't. Thank you. So very simply, all all prediction, if. Uh, if we're predicting questions and wisely suggesting the right answers, all prediction is is practical and and useful. There's no prediction that wouldn't be in the in the framework in which I I make predictions, which is really not prediction at all, but instead 
questions in archetypal fields. Um, but the, the tone of, of, of your question was, was very practical. Which horse is going to win the race? You know, and stuff like that. And, and astrology can, can address questions like that. It's, it's, not, it's not the flower of our craft, but, but we, we can do it. I had a, a funny experience like this. I, I used to have a pretty big association with the music business in America through when there was a music business, <laughs> you know, the big record companies and so on. And uh, a guy, one of, one of the suits, you know, he, he's, he's got a back, he's got two artists and he's got to figure out which one he's going to back. And his, his career is kind of resting on getting it right. And so he, he asked me, he had their birth information. And it was, I still have very mixed feelings about this. The, the artist I like better, his transits and progressions for the next year or so didn't look too good. The other guy, who I didn't like so much, but, you know, he, he was all Jupiter City coming up. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I love the suit. He was my pal. So I said, you know, back this second guy. And he got you know, country music artist of the year, the next year. It was a very practical thing about which horse to back, you know, which which company looks like it's going to make money this year. Astrology, you know, can definitely do that. I just, it's not the kind I'm most interested in. It's not the highest expression of the craft, but it sure works, you know. I'd only make the comment that I, because I work with sort of business and finance, um, yes, I, I do do the, the prediction of saying yes. I think this company, you know, this company looks better than that one over this particular period, and then I would do that. But, and that I think is a practical use of it. And it's usually because the person in front of me is saying, "Look, I've got twenty choices here. Just help me out." Right? So it's just it's narrowing it down. Mm-hmm. All right. Next question, right here. Hi, my name's Emily, fledgling astrologer. Um, so still getting my astrology, um, confidence, um, what, what do you say to people? And maybe this is something from your past, because you maybe don't experience this anymore that come to you with this idea that can you predict this? Can you predict, like, like, what is your answer? Like, how do you, oh my God, how do you do, how do you de- I don't know. How do you deal with people who um, who who think astrology is pre- like the people that um, Rick Levine was dealing with? Like, how do you deal with those people? Like um, in a personal. Very short answer. I've been using this answer for years. You call me up on the phone with uh, that kind of question. I go. I think you've misdialed. I think you're looking for the answer, astrologer, and you've accidentally reached the question, astrologer. (laughs) I'm happy to listen to your issue, to look at the astrology, to talk about what might be going on, and to help you develop better questions. But I'll tell you something as a potential client. I would never answer a question for you because I wouldn't even do that for someone I love. I'm good at giving answers, but you're going to get my answer, not your answer. My job is to help you get your answer, because if you get a good answer for me, it's going to stop your process, and I ain't going to do that. That's my standard answer. That's <laughs> kind of what I do, too. It's I just say, like, I don't do that type of astrology. This is what I do. And I, and I tell people there are plenty of people who do, yeah. and I'm happy to give you their phone numbers. I know really good astrologers who will answer questions like the many-handed hydra. That as fast as you answer and ask them, they will they, they will answer them. And that's okay. That's not my astrology. That's all. 
Right. Oh, I would just say, I mean, my job is not to unveil you as if you're, I'm an artist and yet you are unfinished as much as, you know, I say fate has two arms. One of them is your own. So astrology, well said. astrology is learning to work that other arm. Okay. I mean, part of the answer to the question is just there's different astrologers that specialize in different things. And it, when a client contacts you, you should quickly ascertain if they have the type of questions that you feel comfortable answering and you they may based on your specialty, whatever you specialize in, or they may may not, in which case you refer it to another astrologer. But different astrologers, obviously, just by the responses here, have different levels of comfort in terms of the types of questions they're willing to answer, whether they answer them at all. Uh, the answer that we give when that question is asked from students in China, because it's a common question everywhere, is it's about managing the expectations of your client. And you help to manage the expectations of your client by the information you've provided about yourself and your work so that the client knows initially, you know, from your platform, this is the kind of work I do. This is what you can expect from me. So that starts the process of managing the expectations of your client. So that's, that's another answer to that. Okay. All right. Next question. All right, go. Uh, I'm Michaela. I'm from Phoenix. I'm wondering uh, what you all think the role of connection in synastry is, or relationship. Synastry? Yeah, synastry and those types of charts. All right, who would like to take that question? Would you like to repeat that? The question is, what do you think about synastry and relationship charts? What is the yeah, role just the, the role prediction. of connection in, in Oh, the role of prediction with synastry and relationship charts. Okay. All right, Stephen, go first. I I love doing that because uh, I, I want to. I, I think I think our relationships are good for people. You know, I, I think we we grow faster and evolve faster if we're if we if we're loving somebody. There's lots of ways to love people. Friendships are good for us, but synastry is mostly about couples and and. Uh, so, you know, if I'm working with a couple and they love each other, they're stable, they've been together a while, and one of them has gone through, let's say, a big uh, Uranian time, and they're going to need, you know, a little more freedom, I, I love to sit with them and, and you know, ex explain that to both of them. And, you know, the partner, you know, don't, don't overreact to, to your, your, your partner's need to spread his or her wings a little bit. You know, if you love this person, set them free, you know, so to speak. And, and don't, be, don't be afraid of this. And, and you who are going through the Uranian event, uh, you know, be mindful that, that the blockages to your freedom are, are mostly in your own head and, and you're ripe for getting past them. Don't blame your partner. Be careful of projecting your issues onto your partner. And uh, obviously, it's a big subject, but that, that, that's the spirit of it, briefly. So I feel like I'm using astrology to support love in a time that, that where misunderstandings could arise and unnecessary and inappropriate uh, separation or endings could arise. So in support of love, you know, we can apply these predictions of questions to synastry. Thank you. Okay. Of the panelists for the response to that? Uh, I mean, part of, part of it is just that um, one of the tricky things, one of the things I meant to mention in my opening is that it's only in the past few decades that a more 
predictive-oriented forms of astrology have arisen in the astrological community. The movement in the 60s and 70s was away from predictive astrology and towards psychological astrology uh, for most of the past century. And it's only in the past couple of decades that suddenly you have these older forms of astrology come at, coming back that can make more precise predictions. Mm -hmm. And astrologers are actually still struggling to determine the scope of that and what's appropriate in modern times. Uh, when is it appropriate to make a prediction about a relationship or a marriage or if a person will be married or or how many marriages a person will have or what have you? There's a lot of very good questions surrounding that that astrologers each find their own answers to. But one of the things that I think some of the traditional astrologers are realizing is not everything needs to be predicted or just because you can make a prediction or you feel pretty strongly about something in a person's chart doesn't necessarily mean that you should. Um, so this is where some of the modern uh, sensibilities from people's work like Stephen's work and other psychological or psycho-spiritual astrologers who are bringing modern co counseling dynamics and sensibilities into astrology, that's a very useful and, and valid still in traditional context. And that's something I think a lot of traditional predictive astrologers are still wrestling with because the lines aren't always clear about what's appropriate and what's not. But do no harm, I think, is is the thing that everyone agrees on is, is yeah. Yeah. keep your client's best interest in mind. But even then that there's still sometimes question about what is the client's best interest mm -hmm. because each case may differ uh, when it comes to relationships, let's say. A very short answer here uh, or adding to the, to the discussion is that um, we as astrologers need to be painfully um, obsessively aware of our own biases um, individually, culturally, racially, genderly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because we can, not we can, we do, um, uh, um, it, what's the word, confer them onto our, our clients without even knowing it, um, even if we're conscious. And so we look at a synastry chart and we immediately you know, take our stuff and put it on it. Uh, that, you know, I had three bad marriages and each of my former wives had uh, the moon in Capricorn. This is not me. Um, but uh, therefore, a client comes in and her um, husband has the moon in Capricorn. And it's like, oh, no, he's an asshole. You know, um, you know, I mean, we, we do this without even thinking about it. Um, we bring our issues about all kinds of issues, whether they're gender issues, um, you know, um, um, even, you know, the whole issue of um, uh, trans, binary, uh, sexuality, etc., cetera, um, monogamy. I, I mean, it's wide. And so we have to be careful about how we infringe our judgments um, that are not astrological using the astrological metaphor and making it sound like we're doing astrology. Right. I got a question from this. Um Man, right here. Uh, yeah, yes. my name is Spencer. Spencer. Michigan. Um, I just wanted to piggyback off of what you were saying there. Uh, how do we, as astrologers, become clear channels for giving the, the predictions and the feedback to the clients that that we're working with? How? What are some of the techniques that all of you have used to maybe, as a personal purification, so that you're becoming and bringing more objectivity to to your work? Yes. Good question. Yeah. You would like to take that question first? Stephen would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I predict he's so psychic, he's scary. <laughs> well, you know, I, gosh, it would be easy to sound preachy here, but uh, 
the wisdom of the astrologer is is the most important feature in in the whole system. So there are fine, fine, wise astrologers in Hellenistic tradition, Jyotish tradition, evolutionary, psychological. So how do we cultivate that that wisdom? And uh, that seems inseparable from having some kind of spiritual life. You know, I'd be the last one to pass out Hare Krishna literature at this <laughs> point. You know, every, everybody has their own way, but to that, that silence, that surrendering to, to the divine is, uh, as a regular daily practice, is fundamental to keeping us clear. Follow your own path, but, but that's the essence of it. Uh, I'd add one more layer that uh, the, the practice of astrology itself is very helpful in addressing this exact question because if you do not tolerate diversity, you have no business being an astrologer because astrology is nothing but the celebration and exploration of human diversity. That's what it's all about. Amen. So in any any astrologer who's got built-in prejudices against other systems of astrology, against a race, against a gender, it, it has no business in the field as far as I'm concerned. But such, such an astrologer, if they practice with some diligence, is going to have people very different from them in their face, you know, in the form of clients. And and so gradually the, the, the rock of your rigid judgments does get worn away by the practice of astrology. You learn to put yourself in the shoes of so many different kinds of people that, that over over a lifetime of this practice, your heart opens to human diversity in a, in a skillful way, you know, based on, on real experience. So astrology helps solve this problem. I would I would add to that, I mean I begin every session with a prayer. That doesn't evoke particularly a God, right? I mean, I'll say, you know, would there be a blessing upon the reading of your chart? I don't know who's blessing, but that's the idea. Um, and then I think the other thing that we've talked about a number of times is a question, because William Lilly, an astrologer from the 17th century, talked about this as well. It's the intention of your heart and living a moral life, whatever that might mean for you, you know, and kind of whether that's in alignment with God as you see God. But as Steve was talking about in terms of diversity, but also in terms, do you practice what you preach? Do you live according to what you feel is right? And I think that's become, that becomes a way, a channel, that you open up as a channel toward your astrology. And I think a lot of astrologers perceive it as this quote-unquote quote unquote, scientific objective thing that they just can approach it without realizing it's still a very spiritual endeavor. response Okay. Yeah, one of the key phrases in your that was in your question is part of the answer, which is in that moment when the session starts, there is a moment of surrender, and that's that's key. You may have spent hours preparing. If you're a new astrologer, whatever your methods, whatever your techniques, you may have been walking around thinking about what you were going to say or what questions you were going to ask. In that moment, forget it. Just surrender to that moment. Okay? All right. Question. Uh, a quick quote. Yes. Uh, 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 Chogim Rinpoche, uh, Naropa, said, 
Uh, enlightenment is the ego's greatest disappointment. <laughs> That's what Stephen was talking about. Yes, yes. There it is. That's it. Question back there. Yes. Lynn Buddhist, Tulsa, uh, Oklahoma. Uh, I was thinking while you were talking of one time I looked at a relative's chart. I was not asked, and I did not say anything to this person um, who was, you know, bumbling around. And I looked at it and I go, hot damn. You know, in this year, it looks like he's going to meet a hard-hearted woman and it's going to be good for him. I didn't say a word because I wasn't asked, and sure enough, it didn't happen. But it raises the question, are there times when you keep silence about prediction? Who would like to take that question? I didn't even hear it. Are there times when you should keep silent? Are there times when you should keep silent? about a prediction that is in your mind that you are thinking about. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. that's what I said earlier, that just because an astrologer can say something doesn't necessarily mean that they should or that it's appropriate to, especially in a modern consulting setting. I mean, that's one of the first, that's one of the main rules that most astrologers learn pretty quickly, and especially most predictive astrologers learn. And it's something that astrologers, even in the past 10 or 20 years, are still navigating with, for example, ESAR putting a, a code of ethics in place only, I think, in the 2000s, right? Yeah. Like circa 2000. Right. So astrological organizations, even over the past couple of decades, are still struggling with, especially now with the diversity of astrology, how to create an ethical code of what's appropriate for a consulting setting that's true for all astrologers. And some, sometimes different traditions have different standards or different <laughs> things that's appropriate, depending on how you're approaching things. But I think... One thing that's true among all of them is just that just because you can say something doesn't necessarily mean that you should. But then there's just a difference between conversations about what we should and can say to clients versus what is possible with astrology in general. And I do think it's important that astrologers within the community are allowed to have those conversations where we see just what we can do and how far we can go with astrology um, outside of a client setting. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Some years ago, um, I, it, my husband was working at night and um, he was a musician and I took to calling an astrological friend about nine o'clock at night and we would talk about the different clients we had and the cases we were on. And he was um, some miles away in another town, right, which makes this even more bizarre what happened. But over about a fortnight, so I think we would be on the phone for about 20 minutes each time, about nine o'clock at night, six nights a week. And I was dealing with what seemed to me to be a very complicated case. He had one that was very interesting. So we were talking about all of this. And at some point, we both realized that we were advising the opposite sides on a takeover. Oh. <laughs> this, is, this is really, I mean, this is really important, this. Because we suddenly realized that Uranus was on the midheaven at the moment that we realized, right? Oh. And we didn't know what we were going to do. And I said, what do we do now? And he said, I think we hang up, which we did, right? And then we had to start to think about it because neither of us had signed anything with our respective clients to say that we wouldn't be talking to anybody else, right? Now, this was an ethic, it's an ethical dilemma. I mean, yes. it's one that lawyers are with all the time. But it's not something that I would think would be a regularity with 
astrologers. But so, I, sorry, I've gone slightly off from what the question was, but the, this whole thing about ethics right. is, I think, something that is, as we become better at what we do, and frankly, I think the quality of astrology is moving up all the time. I, I really do. I think from the advent of the computers, the fact that we can do so much more research than we did, the fact that we are careful about what we say in a way that maybe we weren't so much before, we're going to have to cross all these professional hurdles, I think is the, is the right word. Um, and I think we actually need more and more gatherings now like this to discuss how we're going to do that. Amen. Sorry, I preached again. I'm he so did. Sorry. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. Another question. In the far back, back there. Louder, louder, please. And who introduce yourself? Do we believe that astrology can be used as evidence that God exists? That's the question. Nope. <laughs> you go? Yeah. I'll go for you. <laughs> Me too. All right. I, I think that astrology has a spiritual component to yeah. it, but that doesn't mean that everyone who uses astrology has a spiritual component to the astrology they practice. So I think that it really is an individual question. I think that one can be an astrologer and an atheist. <laughs> that is, have no theology. Um, but I think that it's much more likely that as one delves into astrology, which is about meaning in the cosmos, that one develops a theology, whether one believes that astrology has anything to do with God or not, there still is a connection to the magic, to the spirituality of the universe. Can itself. I qualify with that too? Just to say, after I left the ministry, I went into the, logically, and some of you probably can relate, I went into the wilderness of atheism. And it took me a while to come out. What brought me out, to some degree, was astrology. Yeah. That didn't prove for me that God existed, but that there was, a, there was, a, there was something else, right? <laughs> that was a mystery. Now, what that is, and you could become a hardcore atheist and say there's nothing, but that's just, I think, delusional in its own right. But I think that there is something. But I wouldn't say that you can prove God exists, as you were saying. I agree. Can I go for it? <clears throat> so I start with a very specific piece of astrology. If uh, imagine a happy, stable relationship, two people who treasure each other, and uh, you will find a description of of each each person's partner in the chart of the first person, you know, like uh, I have Saturn in the seventh house and I married a Capricorn, you know, things of, of that nature. So we're going to take this. I'm going to circle right back to the heart of the question. Uh, so let's say a little boy is born. He's destined to be a heterosexual little boy. And I look at his chart. The kid is a minute old and I've got his chart. And I describe his partner. You know, I can come up with a fairly accurate description of the partner who hasn't even been born yet. Isn't that amazing? I'm describing, the, in a sense, the chart of somebody who doesn't even yet exist. That much intelligence is built into the birth chart of this kid who is just born. If that's not the mind of God, well, 
I guess I'm an atheist. (laughs) That feels like divinity, magic, evidence of something transcendent, giving an order to the universe that that we can only perceive through astrology or, or what we call faith. But astrology is the concretization of this experience that there is some higher order of things and some higher order of things is a pretty good definition of God as far as I'm concerned. So that's my response. Thank you very much. All right. Next question, please. All right. So uh, my name is Alexis and I'm from Dallas. And I would say that it would be fair to say that the diversity with astrology is quite beautiful. But then but with that diversity, there's a struggle in unification. And in terms of, of prediction, at least with elections, like people can look at the same data and come over completely different predictions. Now, predictions, they can at least, you know, affect client and eventually it can affect the whole community if you bring it to the community. So how can we handle this beauty of you know diversity of our minds and everything to kind of create a prediction or a solution that can kind of help the community kind of in general? Because we all we're all coming from different perspectives, how can we kind of unite and use prediction as a way to kind of help the community? Do you understand that question? You might. You probably want to repeat the question. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, David. You, oh, go go ahead. If you can concisely say that louder, that's great. <laughs> so, astrology is very diverse. It highlights that diversity, but at the same time, with that diversity, there can be a like a misunification. And when it comes to prediction, people make a lot of predictions based on you know. You know, different mindsets, and with those you know differences, how can we all come together and kind of use astrology in a way that is useful and it is meaningful when it comes to prediction, when it comes to the community? Okay, when it comes to the community, okay, that's interesting. Who would like to take that? Sure. So th- this is something we went through at Kepler. Uh, Kepler College ten years ago, when they were still teaching college courses on astrology, because they would have you take a bunch of different courses on different traditions in order to get your degree. And all the students would go through this process where on the one hand, they'd be simultaneously incredibly overwhelmed by the number and the diversity of the different astrological traditions and all of the sometimes varying or conflicting techniques and approaches they would use. Uh, But then at other times, they would be fascinated how sometimes you could have a wildly different tradition like modern psychological astrology or medieval astrology or Vedic astrology who uh, sometimes can come to the same conclusion from from radically different perspectives. And sometimes seeing that overlap where you can have completely different tool sets or completely different traditions come to similar conclusions is interesting and informative in and of itself. But in terms of how the community deals with this, it's it's not anything that's going to be resolved anytime in the near future because the revival of all these different forms of astrology is so recent that it's going to be the great crisis of most of probably the next century before astrologers fully work out how to reconcile and how to maybe merge in some sense all these all of these different systems. In the meantime, we just have to be able to have dialogues like this one where you have a diverse group of different astrologers trying to present their differing and sometimes opposing views. And through that, uh, that dialogue, hopefully, eventually something will shake out of it that looks like uh, a consensus, or at least as close to a consensus as we can get. Anyone else on that? No? Okay, great. 
Thank you for that question. All right, over here, uh, Charlie. State your name and where you're from first. Yeah, I'm Charlie from China. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, my question is, uh, I know, uh, Stephen, you, uh, you, 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 you proposed a uh, forecast framework in your Chinese, uh, Chinese sky. Uh, there is three dimensions uh, for, for everyone to uh, forecast. The first is the, the, event, uh, the event. The second one is the uh, the psychology is uh, psychology, and uh, the third one is the the, the meaning of the of the process, uh, uh, um, the purpose. Yes, and uh, uh, so does it work also work in prediction work? Uh, 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 it seems that the prediction always linked to the to the events, but not psychology or the, or, or the meaning or the purpose. So so so, uh, so that's my question. Yeah. Good question. Great. You know my work very well. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's a you know a, a simple idea that astrology is is. Uh, can can you hear me okay in the back? If I'm still sitting down, you doing okay? I'm half deaf, so I have sympathy for some of you older folks near the back. You know, okay. um, that that. Uh, and any astrological transit or progression or any natal feature will have three three different levels of meaning. The, the the level that is most central as far as I'm concerned is the one that refers to the the evolutionary purpose, what 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 your spirit is trying to learn in this lifetime, what it might look like if you get it right. A lot of astrologers don't even wrestle with a question like that. To me it's the heart of the matter. That there, there's something you're needing to learn here. And that's like the evolutionary level or the level of purpose. And you can get that right or you can get that wrong. And then because of your interaction with that field of, of, of energy and possibility, there will be emotional and interior responses to it. And uh, you will experience happier states, more satisfied inner states if you're in harmony with that larger dharma. You will feel upset if you're out of touch with it. Like uh, um, uh, Mars is hitting a sensitive point. Time to be bold. Time, time to take your own part. Time to be courageous. Have a little fire in your belly. You know, that's the nature of a Mars time. That's the evolutionary meaning of it. If you get that right, you know, you have, you have a certain uh, fire. You have enthusiasm, <laughs> engagement. You know, you're alive, you're passionate, and you're kind of fierce. You know, make my day. There's some of that energy. But if you make it, make a negative response to it, the psychological reality will be that you, uh, you, you feel resentful or, or frustrated anger. You, you uh, slam the door. You kick the dog. You know, you're, these, these are negative uh, responses. And, and so psychologically, we can recognize a range of responses to a transit. And then at the level of events, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, this Mars thing, you're going to act in a bold way. There's territory you need to claim or something you need to stand up for and defend. And we'll have that kind of bold action on, on your part if you get it right, if you get it wrong. Um, you'll chicken out, so to speak. You know, you'll 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 let fear make the decision for you. We'll have an event of uh, in the category of cowardice or inappropriate surrender or slamming doors and kicking dogs, which are of course concrete. So everything will operate at the level of 
of purpose, and then a set of psychological responses that range over the high and the low, and then a set of events that are, are really the caboose of the train, the, the, last, uh, the, the last layer. Um, I'm much more interested in predicting the questions, which is to say the evolutionary meaning of the event, and then oh, because of synchronicity, we'll have some concrete or material event going on as well. But that, that will be the, the result uh, of, of your response to the deeper questions. So it's kind of a whole philosophy of astrology in a minute 58, I hope. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> you, went, you went past that, but yeah, I'm good. Does that make good sense to you, Charlie? Great. Uh-huh. Okay, great. We have a question right here? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so Stephen, this means then that, or in your opinion, um, astrology can be used retrospectively as well as prospectively oh, to God. measure, validate, encourage person's evolutionary trajectory. Absolutely. Right. Rick made a beautiful point about post-diction. I've, I've had a, right. you know, a useless fantasy. of maybe When I was younger, I was thinking, I, I wouldn't even talk about the future anymore. Have people come in and let's talk about what the last year of your life meant. I, I think in many ways. The last ways, 25 years. Yeah. What's been the past. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. When what you're reborn with a cancer moon, you'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> I have a fourth house moon, so I kind of okay. want to. <laughs> but yes, we, when we already have the facts, because history is behind yeah. us, and astrology can help you know what that meant, you know, what you learned, you generate mindfulness and integrate it more, or what you failed to learn. And so the next time you're presented with those questions, maybe you're inspired to get them right. Okay, and so taking it to the next level of astrological prediction for the next lifetime. That's exactly what I was going to, when I went like this, that was exactly what I was going to address before you you asked the question. Um, Just a very quick observation here. Uh, we spend time with prediction and not postdiction, and we spend life with past life regression, not post life progression. Yes. And because all the traditions, all the traditions agree. When I say the traditions, the various mystical traditions, whether it's mystic Christianity or Buddhism or Hindu, they all agree that when uh, that if you take the, if you take the jump. And, and believe based upon evidence, your experience or whatever. I'm not saying reincarnation, that's a next step. But if you believe that consciousness doesn't require meat, okay? If you believe that, that consciousness exists just fine without a body attached to it, all the traditions agree that in that state, that where consciousness exists without matter, that what we think of as past and future do not exist. That something happens in the reptile brain that creates the illusion of cause and effect of linearity, which then gets back to that whole cause and effect illusion thing that I said I agree with, but I'm saying that there that may be illusion too. But the point is, is that past lives and future lives are no different than the past and the present. Everything that's ever happened and everything that ever will happen is happening right now. We just get it discontinuously. And so now having interrupted with that, I'm really interested in hearing what Stephen has to say. (laughs) (laughs) I think first we'll hear Sam. And the one thing I want to introduce is that it's important for people to be clear on their own belief systems, you know, in terms of how you frame these particular things. So, and I, I can't really speak for Chris, but I think I have an idea 
I mean, we both subscribe more to stoic thought. So the idea of thinking more along the line of evolution, the evolution of the soul, your next life, these don't mean anything to us in that sense. So you have to kind of know in terms of contextualize, contextualizing the way that you look at the cosmos and how you look at your life and the life trajectory. So that's important because we start framing things related to astrology based on what I'm going to say it this way, your dogma. And I do look at in terms of how you talk about it as your dogma. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Okay. Yes. And another thing to keep in mind is that we are at the end <laughs> of this presentation. So what I would like to do is to thank the panelists. Let's give them a big hand. And I think we're going to have an amazing new act. Yeah. We are.